0: Good morning, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. I'm not going to do the dates anymore. Do you know why? It just makes the show sound dated. But what we will always remember, this as being the show where my froggy Duke Nukem, Eddie James, Coco Taylor voice resounded across the air. It's kind of weird, you know. The voice is the living (laughs) for me. And it's kind of weird to be... uh, it's just on the tail end of a cold. It wasn't really a bad cold at all. But um, just enough to give me strange dreams. I don't always have a cold. Whenever I have a cold, I have really wild dreams. And last night I dreamt I was uh, going to be the singer in a band. And it was sort of my debut. I was young. I was going to be the singer in a band. But it was songs I can't imagine having the ability to sing. I can sing a few songs, all right. But, I mean, it was like the Who's Rain or Me um, Queen's crazy little thing called love, which is always surprisingly high. And man, I was like, I can't. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. And I was traveling with the with the band in a bus. we were going to a gig, and they were all experienced musicians, and they got me as a frontman. And I was thinking, should I tell them that I'm nervous and I'm not sure that I can do it? Maybe the band will play loud enough. I remember going to see like a punk band when I was younger, where they would, they did an old song called Ten Cents a Dance. And you could barely even hear the singer, if you can call him a singer. And because uh, it was just this wall of sound. I, remember, I said, well, you know, but some of those songs are pretty vocal intensive. Should I tell them? I'm not sure. And then I was floating down a hallway, you know, a hallway with perfect acoustics, nice and tiled, where your voice always sounds like 10 times better. And I could sing the songs. And I was like, all right, let's get this on. And then I woke up, uh, sadly, before I gave my debut in another dimension <laughs> that's pretty cool, I guess it was sort of a confidence inspiring dream because I always feel like I'm three and a half to four feet beyond my comfort zone when I'm doing this show. I certainly try never to do the same show again. saw a speaker recently who said he'd been given the same speech basically for fifteen years you know that's kind of remarkable I mean how do you how do you even do that how do you how do you keep giving? So I was trying never to repeat myself and try to, you know, even though some of the questions in these kinds of shows can be kind of the same, I was trying to give a new angle and so on. So I always feel like four and a half to five, maybe five feet beyond my comfort zone. And maybe that's what the dream had something to do with about that. I will have my voice even when I feel it's, uh, it's going to be too far from you in the case of love, Rain or me way too high, man. Listen to that song. Um, it's love, rain, o'er me, I guess, uh, in homage to Shakespeare. And um, there's a note there at the end that uh, no mortal man should be able to reach. I think that's base even for Getty Lee. Anyway, let's move on to the brains of the outfits. You, the delicious, delightful, hopefully donating callers. Uh, Mike, who do we have first?
1: Actually, before we get to the first caller, I just want to make a note. Some people weren't aware of this, so I figured I'd just shout it loud and clear from the top of the rooftops. But when you donate to Free Domain Radio, you get some cool stuff. We have different sections on the message board where you can access premium files. We have 43 Philosopher King files for the the heroes and gods of Free Domain Radio that help keep the ship afloat.
0: Files may not be hugely descriptive to people.
1: (laughs) Podcast books. They're empty
0: text files, but they have PK1, PK2. No, they're podcasts, right?
1: Yep, different podcasts and there's some audio books and text files in there as well. Um twenty diamond files, fifty gold files, thirty six silver files, and forty seven bronze files. Yeah, the five dollar a month subscription will get you into the bronze section. Ten dollar a month subscription will get you into the silver section. Uh twenty dollar a month section um twenty dollars a month gets you probably your most bang for your buck. Gets you into the gold section where it has the God of Atheists audiobook, Steph's novel, and um Sneak peek at the new parenting book, which will be coming out soon, and a bunch of other cool stuff. And fifty bucks a month gets you
0: into the philosopher king section. So, and there are also these private message boards, right? So you can, you know, we we assume the people who donate are pretty advanced in the conversation, and they you all can chat with each other, free from general web access, right? It's the, it's a sort of a private private set of message boards, which are fairly well used, and I hope that uh, people will avail themselves of that. I mean, it's yeah. It's, uh, you, you, get, you get the cake of helping out a show that I think is really, really important and I think is, is growing really well and really nicely. And, um, uh, but, you know, we, we throw a little icing on the icing on the cake of good self-regard for helping out something that's important to you. And uh, so, yeah, and the, the God of Atheists, I think, is a great book. And um, you, get, uh, yeah, you get the audio book of that. Uh, and the PDF at the gold level. So I hope that you will, uh, you will check that out.
1: If 2600 Podcasts was not enough podcasts for you, you can go into the donator section and get even more.
0: <laughs> there, are some, there are some great podcasts up there. Oh, yeah. there's some great podcasts up there. So, I mean, pretty advanced stuff. Uh, you know, I'm always fairly aware that I'm speaking to experienced people and new people in these shows, uh, which is kind of – it's like a tough balancing act. And um, especially since the YouTube audience has grown so much, you know, who knows, people might just be dipping into some new show. So it's kind of like teaching a physics course when you have uh, newbies and PhDs in the same class. It's an interesting challenge, but I think we're doing all right with that. So, yeah, that's a a good reminder. There are some uh, tasty treats uh, and benefits and a surprise awaits (laughs) high which you will receive uh, if you do. So, anyway.
1: All right, Johannes is up first today. Go ahead, Johannes.
2: Um, first of all, I would like to say uh, I appreciate your work really a lot. Um, I found out about your show three months ago, and since then I've been listening quite a lot every day. And um, I feel like I did not. Uh, it's time to really start to um, put some action, put it to action what I've heard in your shows, and... Um, I didn't really, I, I mean, I'm stressed out by my parents and I'm stressed out by my studying and um, my, I, I assume it could be also because I just didn't have a clear mind. I mean, I, I grew up in a society where I was told what to do. I didn't really had much options to think for myself. Um, I was always told by my parents what to do and uh, till about one year ago, I was always Trying to make a compromise between what I wanted and what my parents wanted, and um, because of listening to you I also um, I also try to de- um, dive a little bit deeper into what happened in my childhood. I also um, had the feeling I connect with myself um, when I was ten years ago so so uh, when I was ten sorry, years said, old and feeling
0: um, something sorry to interrupt you said got the feeling yes. something with yourself i just missed that uh
2: yeah i i um it was 2 weeks ago i was um i was i wanted to just to feel more empathy with with my 10 year old self because just to to because i didn't i i know it what it was bad how how i felt neglected and i i uh, always I, I always remembered that i was about 10 years ago uh, 10 years old when i had this uh, fantasy of uh, suicide in, and I had this plan of eating so much salt that I would die, and that then my parents truly knew what what uh, went wrong, and and, and that uh, that I didn't that that uh, I I didn't like the way they treat me. Uh, it was just a fantasy and it was not really realistic to kill myself who's eating too much salt and it would have taken I thought at that time maybe three days or something. But um I I I listened to a song I was listening at that time and uh I really I really started to cry more than I was expecting to and it um yeah, I, I think I hope that will help me also to um to become aware what went wrong and to to also uh n- not only yeah to to i think to uh, become myself again and and to understand um yeah and 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 also find the power to say uh i don't i don't need to um have to have a connection with my parents all the time and i don't need to listen to my parents all the time and it is okay that i was that i kind of if i I think I'm a, a little bit of a failure in studying, I should have studied in four years, and I t- I'm in the seventh year now, and um, that was maybe because I'm compromising, and also beca- because if you're studying, you also need the you need the the motivation to do, follow long-term goals and, and before I started studying, I always just were told what to do the next day and um, so now i I am thinking about quitting my studies and maybe starting an apprenticeship where i don't have to uh... plan that long-term have that much motivation but then i have also my own money i'm still financially de- dependent on my parents and uh, currently i live with uh, my girlfriend and we share the rent for the flat i pay she pays by earning her own money i pay by getting the money from my parents and um yeah before i do all this stuff like cut connection with my family and uh, quit my studies, and I have also a brother who had also problems so
0: I'm getting a bit of a uh, verbal torrent from you uh because yeah. you know like you've given me like ten things each of which we could talk about for an hour. Have yeah. you given me the, the the most important thing that you want to talk about? i don't want to focus on something thats
2: um, to be honest i i am um, myself. Uh, the most important thing, I want to change my life and I want to, to do it at the right speed and I'm thinking about maybe it's too fast if I quit my studies and, and, and disconnect from my family and all, all the, the things at the same time and I'm not also sure if, if uh, like I'm...
0: Yes, uh, okay, so I was just saying that, that there's quite a wall of information there and I want to make sure we're focusing on what is most important to you so um, of the things that I think are worth talking about, what happened to you when you were ten, I think is the most important or your experience when you were ten about the suicidality yes uh is that all right uh, i what, yeah
3: that that is yeah. right i mean uh in my in my um memories, it's more like it was only one week where where I thought it's like, and I don't know that's and then my own story is that I just uh, got to know to myself that my parents are not really the role models that I should depend on for, for love. And then maybe after two years or so, I, I just um, like saw my friends as role models or as people that I could talk to. And I just shut out my, my, um, my parents. Like you could, I shouldn't, I, I stopped uh, talking to my mother about things that I care deeply about, and I just stuck to myself.
0: Right. So is it okay if we talk about what happened when you were 10? Yes, that's okay. Okay. Now, I mean, I there is a deep... I think this. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of trying to... I remember my own experience, and my own experience when I was around, I think, 9 or 10... Was my mom, like a lot of women, would mask or act out her bad moods in irrational and hypocritical perfectionism. Uh, my mom is a, it wasn't so much when she was younger, but but I mean, and I haven't seen her in a while, but she's, like now, she's just an unbelievable slob. And when I was a kid, she didn't, I don't think she ever cared about the place being tidy but she did care about having something to to crab about with, uh, with us kids. And I remember that she had these sort of two things. She would say, you know, basically, you know, clean up your room, tidy your room. And she would use these bone-wearyingly repetitive phrases, you know, like, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. And she would hook into these little particular incidents or stories and repeat them until you really just wanted to crawl out of sight of your own brain and throw your frontal lobes into a ceiling fan. And uh, I remember one time after she grabbed at me about my room not being tidy, and by crabbed I mean, you know, verbally abused and tiraded and all that kind of stuff, she would always come and try and talk at me. She had this sort of verbal diarrhea, just kind of talk at me. And I remember thinking... Okay, fine. Well, you know, I'm going to say, "I'm sorry, mom, I don't have time to listen to your 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 issues because I have to go and tidy my room." Like I was going to be a perfect little robot of tidying and use that to get out of having to listen to all of the crazy creepy stuff she wanted to tell me. And um I another time I remember in terms of self-destruction, I remember it's probably around the same age I I used to paint a lot and draw a lot. And one time I found a door at an abandoned and half-wrecked house. I dragged the whole door home because I wanted to paint this giant landscape on the door. And one time after my mom had torn into me about something or other, I had a, a lovely little picture of like a sunset and beach and all that drawn on my chalkboard. And... I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to paint again. Like in protest, I'm I'm not going to draw, I'm not going to do chalk, I'm not going to paint again. And one day, art critics will gather around the chalkboard in my room and say, what great promise was here abandoned? And they would blame my mother for taking away my motivation for art or something like that. And I didn't go as far as... Uh, you went in terms of planning out suicide by salt. But I think it's very important. There is, in the act of self-destruction for an abused child, there is a desire to harm the parents. Or in other words, to expose the parents and their harmful activities to the world. Because if you had, I'm not saying you were imminently going to follow through, but if you had followed through and you had uh, killed yourself, then I think in your mind, and and I think in reality to some degree, your parents would have been exposed as bad parents, right? As harmful parents because, you know, their child uh, killed themselves. And the amount of covering up for bad parenting that goes on in society it's pretty much all of society. Right? I just did this video on addiction. And addiction resulting from harm or neglect, trauma, stressors in the developing baby. Now, if every if this was generally understood and accepted, if it's uh, proven and, and becomes common in society to, uh, to understand it, then the moment people saw, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman died as a result of a heroin overdose, people would first, one of the first thoughts that people would get was, my God, what a a terrible infancy he must have had. Like, that would just be, like, maybe, maybe there'll be people who become addicts who don't have any of those stressors as a child. I don't necessarily believe that, but, you know, maybe that's the case. But... That would be the exception. You know, if we hear, oh, someone has lung cancer, what's the first thing we think? Well, they must have been a smoker. We know that association. We understand that association. And the amount of lies and obscurations that are invented to help hide bad parenting in society, is huge. And by bad parenting, some of it can be circumstantial. I right, just It's a bad environment. The parents are doing well, struggling trying to survive. So it doesn't mean bad intent on the part of parents, but a bad environment for the child, which can be parental or it can be social or societal. And so if you look at, I mean, psychotropic drugs for kids, it's all covering up bad parenting. Uh, punishing children in schools... It's all about bad parenting. Uh, covering up bad parenting. Oh, he's got ADHD. Let's drug him. Well, why is he so fidgety? Why is his brain wired that way? Oh, it must be genetic. Right? We we have all of these. Or we blame the vi- the victim. Right? We blame the victim. Or we blame the gene. Blame the genes. As Gabra Mate says, it's an explanation of the way things are that doesn't challenge, or change the way things are. So I think you probably wanted to. Harm and humiliate your parents through these thoughts, which I think is an important thing to to really understand. Is is what I'm, what I'm saying? Connect or make any sense, or is it way off base?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, it was like also re- for revenge, and uh, there was also um, like a story my mother told me when I was a baby, and she cradled me, and then there was the fight between my father and my mother, and my father just started to. Uh, cry, uh, to to scream out at full volume, and I I as a little baby shrugged uh, together. So that's just one thing. I I've,
0: I'm sorry. Can you just go over that story again? I didn't I didn't quite follow that story.
3: Uh, it's a story that my mother told me when I was 18 or so. Uh, when I was talking about that, I always react really, um, really uh, like I don't ex- can't explain, but I'm afraid when my far- parents uh, fight. Um, verbally. And uh, even when I'm 18 and I, do, I know they are fighting with each other, I'm not involved. But I guess it's it's really uh, triggered. Uh, it just reminds me of this. When I was a baby, I was in the arms of my uh, mother and then he uh, started to scream at full volume at my mother. And I as a baby just shrugged together. And I think that this made also uh, like... like um, Made made me into a person that is really um, stressed because uh, I was I was uh, in the stressful environment to to hear these loud voices uh, uh, screamed into my ears and feeling probably also the the fear in uh, in my mother and yeah and
0: this would have occurred sorry this would have occurred before you were born as well you would have heard these screamings going on coming through your mother's skin right. What was going on with your dad that he was doing crazy stuff like screaming at your own?
3: Uh,
2: yeah, my my theory is that I mean my I, I he's a little bit a mystery for me. He uh, I think he behaves a little bit like Putin, and in his way of n- never being really fun, just always being a person that uh, exudes uh, authority, uh, and 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 when he when he thinks. Um, he himself is attacked. He he gets loud. That's what my mother told me. But um, uh, I I think he was just not in love anymore with my uh, with my mother. I was uh, a, I was born before they married, and they married I think because they felt responsible. If you get a baby, you have to marry. And so he probably felt trapped in, mar- in the marriage, and and just well, didn't have any fun at being a husband. I guess that that's what what I would guess why he was angry but and and my mother also has really mood swings and and uh, uh, is, is not fair in her assessment of other people and that's that's also why i got sometimes angry at her but that's of course no reason to scream at this volume in front of your baby
0: so none of what you say has anything to do with the childhood of your parents
2: um, I know that my my father was born like when the Second World War ended, and um, I, I I don't know if it's directly uh, related, but that's what my mother yesterday told me. Uh, she thought it's relevant, but it didn't make any sense to me. She uh, she she told me she was he's the firstborn, and um, I know that he is disconnected now from his uh, brother and his sister and uh i know that he was uh sick for one year and couldn't go to school when he was about 7 and i know that uh his his parent his um, two parents were living under, under the roof of the farmer's house of the grandparents and the grandparents were dominating everything and his uh, mother uh didn't have anything to say in the in the marriage and was always if she was angry with him the he always ran to the grandparents who helped him uh, and said, "No, no, no, nothing is. Uh, uh, he didn't do any wrong." And so my uh, her, his mother never uh, was able to, uh, to uh, discipline him. I know, I know that, but I I cannot make any sense. And and, um, I I I don't know what. Uh, did he what, grow up in uh, Russia?
0: Is that what? You, why you referenced uh, Putin?
2: Uh, no. No, no, he no, didn't. He okay. didn't
0: okay. Uh, it was in Germany. In Germany, yeah. Now, of course, in Germany, after the war, I mean, it was uh, a complete mess, as as you know, right? I mean, there's no. And look, this is not to say that that it's it's fine or it's okay or or anything like that. And in it's because it doesn't really matter. See, when when we're in a terrifying environment, when we're babies and toddlers, the history of the parents doesn't fundamentally matter. And from my experience, as a society, as a whole, we don't really pay that much attention to context. There are very few defenses in law called, I had a stressful babyhood, and therefore, right? So, I mean, again, I I just go by what society says. Now, what society says may not be entirely correct. It may not be entirely valid. But certainly, all the people who inflicted that on me as a kid have no right to disagree with my analysis if I'm using their moral conclusions as well. Okay. So, for instance, when I was six, uh, five and six, since so I went to boarding school when I was six, and I'm, I'm telling you this because the issues with your parents, I believe, have a lot more to do now with your issues with society as a whole. Right? The parents are history. Society is our future. And if we come to conclusions about society based upon our relationship with our parents, then we are going to have problems going forward uh, because we we go further into society as we get older. And so when I was, say, 6 or 7 or 8 or 10 or 15 years old, uh, well, let's say I was 16 years old. So when I was 16 years old, um, my brother and I were on our own. We took in roommates. We worked jobs to uh, take care of the household. And we'd had a terribly stressful childhood. But that didn't matter to any of the teachers, to any of the policemen, to anyone around. We were treated the same as everybody else. So that's what society does. They, they don't care about your childhood. You know, some, some people had nice parents who encouraged them to study and helped them out. I had a mom who would sit down and tell me all about her dating life when I was trying to study for a math test, and if I protested, she would scream things, scream at me and throw things. But we all sat down in the same classroom, and I was judged exactly the same as all the other kids. Now, I don't believe that's fair at all. I don't believe that's right at all. I mean, we wouldn't have... Olympic running where some people started 10 feet from the finish line and some people started in Paraguay Yes, but that's the way it is with childhood right and this is why when I say to people um, I mean I'm curious about their parents' childhoods it doesn't make a damn bit of difference when it comes to how they act now I believe that it does in reality but parents themselves cannot possibly complain about that and people as a whole cannot possibly complain about that because we treat children as if their childhoods don't matter, right? We yeah. mark children down. Uh, I, I would get a, a fail or a pass exactly the same as the guy next to me whose mom was, and dad were super nice who helped him study, who got him tutoring when he went awry, And no one has a problem with that, right? No one invokes childhood until bad parenting comes up. And then people say, well, but your parents had a bad childhood. And therefore, therefore, therefore. It's like if people are so goddamn concerned about bad childhoods, let's start talking about children rather than parents. See, it's just another one of these knee-jerk reactions that comes up. When bad parenting is exposed, everyone rushes to cover it up. Because yeah. maybe if their own bad conscience or the basic reality, their system is built on bad parenting. Bad parents are fundamentally the, uh, the cause of almost all the ills that happen all the moral ills that happen in the world. So when your dad was screaming at you or or your mom was doing something that was negative and so on, was there no society around you that you could talk to or who could intervene?
2: Um, um, I i mean there were teachers that i was uh, not afraid of but i felt like i, I didn't i didn't see anybody I, I nobody comes to mind i mean i always hope i mean now i think maybe my smaller brother could have been more like on my sa- on my side but he was more the uh, my mother liked him the best so he was also more on her side and i felt felt like i'm the only one fighting against this uh, this problem that that and at, at school they give me grades and if I get a bad grade, my parents don't like me and all all their love is based on the school and i I didn't know where to go and yeah
0: so I mean so you're looking to go into a society that didn't help you and in fact blamed you for some of the negative consequences of your bad upbringing, is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, um, no, but what do you mean with uh, blame? Uh, the society didn't blame me, but I didn't, I, I'm just not compatible with uh, society as much as children from, people, from parents that, that uh, didn't uh, reduce children to, to grades at school. And who didn't go to the fourth year first four years of their school with with children that just uh, were mobbing any person that was new more than they they knew at school
0: uh, I'm sorry I just don't quite understand that last part
2: um I, in uh, in retrospect I uh, i was i was uh, going to school with a lot of children from households where they where the um, people were just like probably not interested in in education and and not interested in talking and I was more the ch- child that was forbidden to uh, to uh, use violence and uh, always talk nicely, and this. Uh, so I was bullied a lot uh, just for because I was wanted to solve everything with words, or and I was the know-it-all in class. So uh, I, I was also conflicted because at school I shouldn't be good, and and at at home it's expected that I have good grades, and uh, and I didn't get any love anymore uh, when when my grades tanked. But uh, it's it what no, but just... that's
0: sorry, that's that's what I mean when you say that you were blamed, right, for the effects of of bad parenting why why do children not do well in school why do children not do well in school well children don't do well in school for one of three reasons either the school is terrible which is certainly not the child's fault or the parents are not instilling a love of learning and helping the child to learn which is certainly not the child's fault or the child is not intelligent just lacks physical capacity which is certainly not the child's fault so we, what I mean is that we, we use this whip called free will, and we hit our children with this whip called free will. And we assign the greatest amount of free will and moral responsibility in society to children who are 6 or 7 or 8 or 10 or 15 years old. Those children exist as morally isolated Nietzschean superheroes objectivist superheroes who can make any and all choices outside of circumstances and are 100 percent responsible for everything that they do. Right. Mm-hmm. When a child receives a failing grade on a test, it is the parents who should be called in and chastised. Right. When a child is 10 and gets a failing grade on a grammar test, then it is the parents who should be brought in and said, you have failed because your child has failed to learn. So you as parents need to fix this issue. Well, we don't do that. See, parents have legal independence, authority. They can complain. They can make your life difficult. So we don't do that, right? What we do is we say to the child, bad child, you should have studied. Bad, bad, bad. You failed. You failed. Because, you see, children in this abusive paradigm are 100% perfectly free, independent of environment, moral agents. And everything that they choose is outside of history and outside of circumstances because they're 8 or 10 years old, you see. So we don't ever look at and say, well, the child is failing, therefore the school is failing. Therefore society is failing, therefore the parents are failing. No, no, no. It's 100% the child, 100% the child. And then when we grow up and we say, you know what, my parents kind of failed. And people say, no, 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 no. It was their environment. It was their history. They were doing the best they can with the knowledge they had. It's not their fault. Forgive them. Fuck that. Fuck that. I will start forgiving adults when adults start forgiving children who have far less independence, power, and authority. So when people say, well, you see, it's childhood and circumstances that, that, that make the difference, and, and we can't really hold people responsible who are 30 and hitting their children or screaming at their children. We can't hold those people responsible. I will know when that is not just self-serving, parent-excusing bullshit. I will know that when people don't even imagine applying that to parents. When the first thing they say is, wow, you know what? People aren't particularly responsible for what happens to them in their childhood or the effects of childhood are not particularly to to, to the responsibility of of the individual. Therefore, the first thing we need to do is completely reform the educational system because those children are actually in their childhoods. And and I'm pointing this out not to have a rant, although that obviously has something to do with it, but just because I need you to understand – that with this knowledge, with the knowledge that we're talking about here, comes an inevitable contempt and disgust with society as a whole. I mean, we all understand it is, it is insanely evil to assign more responsibility to a 10-year-old child than a 30-year-old adult, right? And you as a child were failed or castigated or punished because you made, quote, bad choices. And then when you say, well, you know what, my parents made bad choices. What do people say? Oh, but they had these childhoods. Oh, they were doing the best they could. They were stressed. Fuck, I was pretty stressed as a kid. No one cut me any slack for it. Now, of course, we should cut slack for children when they're children. If we're going to cut slack for anyone, it should be for children when they're children. But this cut slack because of childhood only ever occurs when we assign moral responsibility to parents. They're the ones who need to be given be forgiven because they had bad childhoods or they were undergoing stress or the husband left them or whatever, right? It's like, well, I was the goddamn kid going through infinitely more stress than any other adult around me. And because they had choices. I, I had no choices. And we blame and castigate children we spank and punish children, we fail children in school, we give them failing grades, we hold them back a year sometimes, because children are 100% morally responsible, you see. But then when that moral responsibility focuses on parents, all of these excuses start popping up, and it's vile, and it's disgusting, and it's deeply, deeply evil. I mean, this this prejudice against children is so deep-seated, it's like gravity it's something you don't really think about unless you really work to concentrate on it but moving forward that is the society that you're going to be entering into and uh, it is one of the most difficult burdens of philosophy or of self-knowledge at the moment is realizing that all of these ethics are invented to harm children and excuse their abusers ethics And moral responsibility is the handmaiden, slave, servant, and master of child abusers. The idea of moral responsibility is only and forever applied 150% to children and minus 150% to parents. Punishment, ethics, reward, free will, virtue, good, bad behavior, these things are all invented to punish children and then completely reversed to excuse abusers. It is a tool of abuse. And if we internalize this in terms of self attack, well, I was a tough kid, I didn't listen, I didn't study, I was disobedient, I was disrespectful, I was, uh, I fought, I, you know, all we're doing is we are internalizing the foundational tool of child abuse, which is ethics, which is virtue, which is what is called responsibility. You know, my mom would scream at me that I was irresponsible. It's like, well, mom, the fact that you're screaming is much more irresponsible than anything I could ever have done. The fact that you chose to have a second child in a disintegrating marriage with a guy you loathed was a little bit more irresponsible than me misplacing a cup (laughs) somewhere or dropping a glass and it breaking. Right, The fact that, that you've alienated everyone around you who might possibly give you support through rages, hostility, and vindictive vendettas might be just a little bit more irresponsible than anything I've ever done. The fact that you've dragged two kids to a new continent at a time when they might actually be able to find some support from society, from extended family, from friends and friends' parents from the vicious abuse they're experiencing, have to drag them off to a new country to break any kind of contact they might have with people, break any kind of support with people. The fact that you moved us to separate us from any support and any intervention and any salvation from the abuse we were suffering might be a little bit more irresponsible than I forgot to put my braces in last night. But you see this irresponsibility and laziness and lack of attention and lack of concentration. See, the children are diagnosed with ADHD. It's not possibly that the school system is deficient and that the parenting is deficient or abusive. It can't possibly be anything to do with that. Because teachers and teachers' unions and parents vote and have authority and can make people's lives difficult. The children don't vote, don't have authority, and can't make anyone's lives difficult, really. And so we say not that the school lacks stimulation, but that the children lack attention. And therefore we drug them to the profit of all, except the children, who will inherit the debt for all of these foul pseudo-medicines, and who will have to live with brain deficiencies that can be triggered by these medications, But this is why when you talk about self-destruction at the age of 10, you are hoping to expose your parents to criticism. But it wouldn't have worked. When children go off the rails when they are 13 or 14 or whatever, as I started to do, significantly heading down a bad path with some pretty bad people. Well, when I was arrested, the cop uh, gave me a long lecture on what I'd done wrong and how bad it was and how I need to be responsible and respect people, respect their property and be good and obey the law and all these kinds of things. nobody ever of course said to me well you're doing the best, he's doing the best he can with the knowledge he has well, he's had a really difficult childhood no, I was just a bad kid doing bad things I mean, it was nothing serious in particular but I mean this is the reality and that's the world that we live in that children get no excuse and endless punishment and parents get endless excuses and society and schools get endless excuses. Can you imagine paying a child to do badly in school? Well, if you get an A, you get uh, 50 detentions, but you get, if you get an F, you get $5,000. But that's exactly how the school system operates. If the school is doing badly, it makes the case for increased funding. We pay schools for doing badly. If teachers don't know enough, they get free days off to go and attend seminars. So I just sort of wanted to point out that when children go off the rails, the parents get sympathy. Oh, you know, he must have some brain chemistry imbalance. Ooh, he mysteriously fell in with the wrong crowd. It's his friends, his peers. Video games! Video games, the internet, pornography! Marilyn Manson, drugs! You poor parents having to deal with this rebellious, sullen, difficult teenager. And nobody ever says, gosh, I... I wonder if the teenager has anything to actually be sullen about in society, in his family, in his schools. And that is the reality. If you had killed yourself when you were 10, your parents would have received bottomless sympathy from those around them. Oh, must have been some chemical imbalance in the brain. Oh, you know, he must have, uh, he must have accidentally stumbled across a website of Satanism or you know, something. They would have invented something to be able to provide the parents sympathy because that's the world we live in. Whenever anything goes wrong in a family, the children are blamed and the parents receive sympathy almost always. Every time I point out the degree to which childhood negatively affects adulthood, if the childhood is stressful, traumatic, and abusive, I get deluged with emails from extremely articulate bullshit artists who say, well, I knew a kid, he had a perfect childhood, was loved by everyone, perfectly happy, and he became a heroin addict, so what do you say to that? I say bullshit. That's not even an argument worth considering. First of all, how the fuck do you know whether that person had a perfect childhood or not? How the fuck do you know? Anyone who makes that claim with a straight face automatically disqualifies himself from any rational consideration at all. I don't know who had a perfect childhood. There are lots of people who put on a great front, a great facade of having it together. Christ, I was the class clown. Made everybody laugh. I, I mean, I had jobs. I had girlfriends. I was in a garage band briefly i mean i did lots of cool i did i did plays i was on the debating team i was on the water polo team the swim team i was a cross country runner played soccer tennis squash worked out i mean man i looked like i had it together and a half nobody had a clue people would say well if i had gone to drugs i said I knew this guy an all-star athlete, he did well in school, had girlfriends. He l- looked like it. He looked like it was great. Bingo bango, that Steph guy got into drugs, crime. Anybody who says they know for sure somebody else had a perfect, perfectly happy childhood, is a bullshit artist. It doesn't mean that there's no such thing as a happy childhood. There is, but not if you're in public school, for God's sakes, right? I mean, public school. Like somebody who says that, you know, with the exception that they were, their parents were forced at gunpoint to, fa- to pay to a school that they were probably forced at gunpoint to go to, which had nothing to do with any interest or profit in educating them. Or, you know, with the exception that they were told that they were going to burn in hell if they had any sexual thoughts at the age of 13 or whatever they were told. With the exception that they were bored out of their gourd for most of their childhood, stuck in a mental prison they were unable to leave. And I get all of this stuff. This stuff just comes pouring out because people need to find exceptions. People need to find exceptions because the idea that a problematic child indicates a problem in society, in the school, in the home, in the church is incomprehensible. And the relationship between child abuse and adult dysfunction is far stronger than the relationship between smoking and dying from smoking. Like a third of smokers, they don't die from smoking. I mean, That's a third of people who smoke heavily and they don't die from smoking. But the first time, first time we see right, Leonard Nimoy, the Star Trek actor, recently diagnosed with a sort of chronic... Lung problem. He quit. He was a heavy smoker. I think he quit. He's 82 now. I think he quit like 30 years ago when he was in his early 50s. First thing you go, lung cancer or this chronic uh, lung problems. Oh, he was a smoker. Even though people, Andy Kaufman died of lung cancer, apparently was never a smoker. But this knee jerk reaction that we have to just find excuses and find exceptions, that would have occurred if you'd killed yourself. People would have said, oh my goodness, you poor parents.
2: Yeah, and and um, a cousin of mine, the only male cousin I had, he killed himself when I was maybe 12 and he was 14. He is the, oh, uh, so that's my father's side, the sister, and I, I could see he was just like, he wa he he didn't have any impact on society or uh he- i mean he just stopped his life and all that ma- he might have changed could have changed or something didn't nothing happened and uh he's just now gone and 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 the reason that it was talked about was that uh, he was blaming himself that their parents th- that his parents are going to divorce uh i don't know but i i i really I just saw. Like, uh, I was happy I didn't kill myself. I, I'm now happy that I didn't kill myself because you don't, you can't change anything when you you're dead.
0: No, and it's, um, you know, it just it vanishes from people's brains, and then they come up with these self-serving, you know, sympathy missives for themselves, and. everyone rushes to to provide them comfort for these you know these terrible thing that has happened right yeah i mean rick warren one of the most famous american megachurch preachers his son uh committed suicide
2: hmm.
0: and you know you can just look at uh you know Rick Warren on guns, God and son's tragic death, his son's tragic death. He opens up about his son's suicide, how painful it was for him, how difficult it was for him, how incomprehensible it was for him, how he tried to give his son every conceivable level of support and help and blah, 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 right? Yeah. Now, I don't, I mean, I don't know the story of this. I mean, I don't know what the hell do I care nor know about this sort of stuff. Right. starts off, this is from CNN Rick and Kay Warren stood outside their son's home sobbing in each other's arms they knew, they had talked Matthew 27 off the ledge many times but not this time a nod from a police officer who inspected Matthew's house confirmed their worst fears I just hit the ground, Kay Warren said on April 5th, Matthew Warren killed himself with a gun after a lifelong battle with mental illness you see the, the family was just struck with mental illness it's terrible The day I had feared might happen one day since he had been born, and the day that I had prayed would never happen, happened. Rick Warren told Peters Morgan in an exclusive interview. For the first time since Matthew Warren's death on April 5th, 2013, I think there was, Rick and Kay Warren are speaking out about his troubled life, how the tragedy changed their faith and their new mission to draw attention to mental illness. Now, do you see how clever all of this is, Right. Um, I have, he I have says, a question like, hang on a sec, let me, let me just finish this part and then I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet because, I mean, there's so much about this that's just beautiful, nasty propaganda. The day that I feared might happen one day since he had been born. We were born with a son prone to suicidality. Since he had been born. They were born with a child... Maybe the child came out with two fingers and a thumb cocked, pointed straight to his forehead. But they were born, you see, with a child who was mentally ill. And they were born with a child who ended up killing himself. And they all they could do was try to stave it off. So their son... Matthew Warren struggled with borderline personality disorder and deep depression for much of his life. He had a loving family and access to mental health care, but not even that could spare him. Matthew was a young man with a tender heart and tortured mind, Rick Warren said. If love could have kept my child alive, he'd be alive today because he was incredibly loved. He says, uh, I never questioned my faith in God. I questioned God's plan, Rick Warren said. God isn't to blame for my son's death. My son took his life. It was his choice. It was his Choice. And, you know, the fact that his father is a professional liar, and the fact that his father runs a church that regularly inflicts mental torture on children, and the fact that he says, My son was born this way. Since he was born, he had these problems. And he had mental illness, you see? See, this is what he says. He had mental illness. But none of this hangs together, even remotely. Because if Rick Warren's son had mental illness, if he was born that way, if he was genetically programmed to kill himself, then what sense does this make? when he says, I never question my faith in God, Rick Warren said, God isn't to blame for my son's death. My son took his life. It was his choice. It was his choice. Well, wait a minute. Which is it? Is it mental illness? Was he born that way? Or was it his choice? You see, none of this makes any sense. Because if it wasn't his choice, then it has to be something. Like if it was genetic and you're religious, it has something to do with God. God designed this person to kill himself. Right? Because God could have fixed the genes like that. If it's original sin, if it's an original genetic sin, then God is to blame. If God wasn't to blame, but it was bad parenting, bad environment, then Rick Warren and his wife are to blame. If mental illness was the fact then God is to blame, but neither Rick Warren nor his son are to blame. You see, under no configuration are either God or the parents responsible. This is why the story just changes. When the parents are focused on, it's mental illness. When mental illness is focused on, it's not present anymore, and it's the son's pure choice to kill himself. Nearly half of evangelicals say that people with serious mental illnesses like depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia can be cured by Bible study and prayer alone. 60% of Americans overall disagree. You can pray child abuse away. Unless, of course, prayer is child abuse, in which case you will probably end up much worse than before. So this has not harmed his ministry. I'm sure he's got lots of donations and sympathy and how terrible that you had to deal with this strangely unfree-willed individual who was born to kill himself, yet who was still 100% responsible for his choice. Right? It's just tortured inventions to excuse environment, society, uh, parenting, and so on. And I bet you they took this kid to a lot of Christian counselors, unless his problem was Christianity. I don't know for sure. I mean, I think that religion and superstition as a whole are not beneficial mental health practices, but... This, I'm afraid, is the society that you're going to be going into. You know, it's a little worse in America, but uh, it's uh, it's all over the place, and um, so it is tough to find your ambition in that world, if that makes any sense.
2: Yes, yes, uh, it's it's uh, tough to find my ambition. I mean, I, I no no more so like, I if I think about it, I want to change the world for a little bit to the better than when I came to this world, but um, what, when you were talking about this uh, child who committed suicide, um, I, I I've, the question came into my mind, mind, is it normal that I don't feel really that much, because uh, I, I feel like maybe I have a blockade like a soldier, so I was in the war and this child died, and I have to carry on, I shouldn't focus too much on… On, on your on cousin, you mean? Things. Uh, yeah, on my cousin. and It's also my brother. He didn't. Ki- uh, he's still alive. He, but the last five years, he just spent in his room, afraid of society and and, uh, with living with his parents. But uh, just last one year, he was just living uh, in the night, and my parents were living in the day. And and and, um, of I'm I'm more. I I can't really sympathize with him. I just I feel responsible when he calls me. I I try to give him. Uh, solutions how to get out of it because sometimes he wants to get out of it but he doesn't have the power really to to do something and uh, uh two day three four days ago i was talking to him uh about make to blame also his parents for for his failure not just himself or, or only his parents not himself and that he has to get out of the war zone uh that is our parents right
0: sorry yeah yeah you said his parents you mean our parents
2: yeah i, I yeah,
0: that's an important distinction, but anyway yes, go on.
2: they are there, they're my parents too and um so so i i am just focused on on how to combat this evil, but I don't feel any sympathy, and maybe that that's also just weakening my my uh motivation because i
0: no I no listen, I, sorry to interrupt, but look can you imagine a war where people had sympathy for the enemy soldiers no No, such a war would not occur. Can you imagine a war on drugs where people had empathy for drug addicts and recognized them as mostly self-medicating people attempting to overcome brain damage caused by a traumatized childhood? Could you imagine a war on drugs that rested on empathy for addicts? No, no. No, of course not. Can you imagine a parent spanking because they had deep and abiding empathy for their child's preferences and needs? No. Can you imagine a church operating where the parents had a deep and abiding empathy for their children's preferences and desires? You know, do you want to go to church? Do you want to hear more about how Jesus died for your sins?
2: Uh, To be honest, like uh, I, I chose myself to be Catholic, but I quit like one year ago. I was I was free to church, to go to church, and I went uh, for a longer time to church than my brother did. He was free to he I, he quit church uh, maybe when he was ten, and I when I was fifteen, really to go to church every Sunday. But uh, yeah,
0: right. But I can't imagine that children want to be told how sinful they are and how Jesus died for their sins, and now needs to go into a formal suit and sit on a hard pew for an hour, right? Can you imagine a government-run school system or any school system that would look like it does now if it had deep empathy for the needs of children and their parents? Nope. Barack Obama the other day said, well, we've got, uh, we've got free Wi-Fi at Starbucks, so we should at least have free Wi-Fi in, in our schools, right? Yep. Of course, you know, big fucking difference, right? You can leave Starbucks. You can choose not to go there. How about we bring choice to the public school systems before we worry about the goddamn Wi-Fi? But of course that's not going to happen. So the reason that you don't feel empathy for the victims is that society as we know it could not conceivably stand in the presence of empathy. Empathy is the sunlight to the vampire of culture. Sympathy is sunlight to the vampire of statism. Sympathy and empathy is sunlight to the vampire of public schools and of war and of unjust imprisonment. So the fact that you don't feel empathy for victims is exactly how it's supposed to be in society. Empathy would unravel all of the knotted cords around our necks placed there by irrational authority. A deficiency in empathy is is a necessary engine for exploitation. The development of empathy is like saying to people, face plant in this bowl of maggots and it will be a great meal. The development of empathy is so hard because the world is so fucking horrible in so many ways. The development of empathy is painful in the extreme. Empathy feels like masochism in the beginning. And so the fact that you wouldn't have a lot of empathy for the victims of families and of cultures, religions, schools, the fact that you wouldn't have empathy for this and the fact that you're aware that you don't have empathy is fantastic. Most people not even aware that they lack empathy for the victims of power. The fact that you have empathy, have an empathy deficiency and know that is a fantastic first step. Hmm. So it's it's inevitable and natural and it's much bigger than your family. Much bigger and deeper than your family. Your family is just one manifestation of it. The family is in many ways the primary conduit of how this is achieved. You know, how many kids want to go to school? I don't know. I don't think that many. I sure as hell didn't. Nobody I knew wanted to be there. So how could a society that has empathy want to send their kids to school? Well, you know, because for moms, spending time with their children is not even in the top, top 10 of things they want to do. Yeah, you know, I want to go shopping and see movies and spend time with friends and have lattes and stuff. But having empathy for the children its a terrible scene from my childhood. My brother went to boarding school for a year before I did. I was five. I was too young. And my mother and I went up to visit him. And I think it it was for a weekend. And my mom got the date wrong about when the school was supposed to open again. So we drove back to the school expecting everyone to be there to pick my brother up. And my brother would have been, I guess, seven, seven and a half and we dropped we we drove up we were in a cab and we drove up we didn't have a car we never had a car we drove up to the school and there was nobody there I don't know if we were there on a Sunday and it opened up on a Monday or something like that but we drove up to the school to drop my brother off a boarding school like on its own estate it was not on a busy street there was nobody else around it was in a walled off thing I guess the gates were open we drove up Knocked on the door, and we had train tickets to go back home. We knocked on the door, big ass giant brass knocker. Nobody answered, nobody answered. My mom would call out, she started running around the building, screaming for people because we had to get back to the train station apparently. We had tickets, right? Cab driver's like, hey, we gotta go. And my mother left my brother on the steps of that closed up, sealed off boarding school and drove away. And my brother was hysterical, sobbing, screaming, don't leave me. I remember so clearly I was five looking out the back of that. I remember the dirt patterns on the back of the cab window. And I was looking at my brother on these steps, sobbing. He was sobbing, screaming, crying, hysterical, and rightly so. My God, what a horrifying thing to do to a child as we drove away. I remember thinking even at that time that too much sympathy in this world was a very, very dangerous thing. That feeling for the victims was like a target to your head. My mother did not have empathy. What an insane thing to do, to leave a seven-year-old in the middle of nowhere. And I never knew what happened. I'm, I'm sure that eventually some janitor or caretaker or someone came by. It's like a time when my mom dropped me off someplace saying, just take a bus home and neglected to give me any money. I started walking home. It was too far. I had to start going up to people to ask for change. The nice bearded guy eventually gave me the money to get on a bus. But the idea of having empathy for victims uh, is, uh, it would change everything. It would change everything. So it doesn't surprise me that you are lacking in empathy for the victims, but it's very encouraging that you're aware of that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I absolutely have to move on to, <laughs> to another caller. Yeah. I mean, thank you sorry very that much. Took along. I hope this is, I hope this was helpful. This is, I think the stuff that needs to be uh, looked at. If I were in your shoes, um, I hope that that will help. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's pretty deep stuff that you'll be working with.
2: Thank you. I, well, I'm you going very to welcome. to it again.
0: And thank you for your call.
1: Great, right, Andrew, you're up next. Go ahead.
0: Hello, Andrew.
4: So, um, hi. I just wanted to say that um, I appreciate you having this show. And one of the recent videos you did about a month ago was um, on who owns the United States. And I, uh, after listening to it, I had a few questions I wanted to ask because I'm not totally convinced about the argument you made about the difference between a government and uh, private ownership.
0: Okay, go for it.
4: So, uh, the first, you basically, you made about three distinctions between private property and, uh, or private ownership and government that I could tell. The first was that uh, government is basically murdered geography. They didn't actually have a legitimate, they did not uh, legitimately claim the property by, like, purchasing it or Voluntary transaction. And the second was that uh, the people living there are not vol- – did not voluntarily move there in a government and uh, their their children are forced to live there and go to schools and whatever versus a private property where you could just move there. <clears throat> I mean, I'm talking about like that that USA government company example that the the, uh, the reader gave you. you. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so like in that particular situation, if you were setting up some kind of socialist or ex- experiment or community or whatever, then people could just voluntarily move there. And then the third um, distinction was that there's no owner of the government as opposed right. to private property has an has an owner. So with the case of murder
0: geography... Uh, sorry, in, in, a, in a democracy in particular, you could make the argument that in an aristocracy, there is an owner of the government who is the king or queen who wishes to retain the value of the tax base in perpetuity, and so on. But particularly in a democracy uh, or a republic, there's no owner. But uh, sorry, go ahead.
4: Okay, so with, with the the point about not acquiring the the property legitimately because you murdered someone or you stole their land or whatever, um, I I don't see how that's any different than the example you gave where the uh, you had you said maybe 500 years ago my irish ancestor had his land stolen by a british guy um but then the british guy made improvements to the land so um he uh at some point in time not exactly clear he he became the legitimate owner of the property by homesteading it even though he wasn't at the time that he acquired it so i'm i'm not totally clear is was there some process is it just like a gradual thing or was there some some point in time where you can say oh now he's the owner he wasn't the owner yesterday but he is today or is it more of a but no
0: but but hang on you're you're talking about two different things so you're talking about an individual versus the government right so you can't transpose those two as if they're the same thing
4: okay well what you but a government could just be like a dictator or a king or whatever too
0: so wait we're not talking about a democracy now we're talking about an aristocracy
4: well well i mean yeah government comes in many different forms so but if that if that only applies to a democracy then then i understand but what i still don't get is that i mean a king taking over a large region of land with his army and then spending you know other people's money tax money or whatever on improving the land building aqueducts or farmland or whatever i mean that doesn't seem to me a whole lot different than a wealthy merchant hiring a mercenary army to take over someone else's land and doing the same thing
0: and have you got examples in history where wealthy merchants hire mercenary armies to take over other people's things
4: Well, I mean it's kind of what happened when the uh the uh original colonists came to the united states they were it was a for profit venture where they they were going under the authority of the english you know government but they they were still doing it to make money so
0: well, wait 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 you 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 can't conf- you you said private merchants hiring armies to take over land and then you're talking okay, about okay. a state sponsored okay, well, terrorist attack upon okay, a new con- continent okay, that's not okay. the same thing right
4: okay that that's that's fair enough but okay so i don't have off the top of my head an example of that, but except for, I mean, the example that, that you gave where, I mean, it doesn't even have to be an army. It could just be, it's a single person doing it. But it just seems to me that it's a matter of scale. The point is that even if you take over, it, it seemed to me that you were suggesting that even if you illegitimately take over property, then you can still gain legitimacy by improving the land.
0: Well, what hang on, but see, no, hang on, team? hang on, hang on. No, yeah. because, because look, I mean, illegitimately taking over property is our understanding of property transfers now versus the past. Look, all property, fundament- like almost all land property fundamentally resulted from, from conflict. I mean, there were, there were very few places where you could go where there wasn't anyone. I mean, there were some places, of course, right? But those places tend to be pretty crappy. So people wanted the best land and whether it was tribal conflict or government conflict uh, or monarchic conflict or whatever, I mean, the entire Roman army, um, you know, sort of the, the, the Western and the Eastern Byzantine-based Roman army, I mean, gave huge plots of land as, as a result of conquest. But at the time, the technology of morality was extremely primitive. So it's like calling them bad scientists in the Neolithic era. Well, they didn't have the scientific method. So, we look back now and we say, like, slavery was, was morally illegitimate. Well, of course it was. But these, these are not laws of physics, right? These are laws of morality, which is a form of technology and a form of knowledge that needs to be developed and applied. And so, for my own, like, for my own experience, I accepted the non-aggression principle and statism for about 20 years. Now, that's pretty retarded in hindsight. But I simply did not have the arguments, did not have the knowledge, did not have the conclusions that allowed me to consistently accept the non-aggression principle and to reject the state. So as I've talked about before, when people don't morally know something, they're kind of in a state of nature. Now, once you make the moral arguments and you put the moral, far- moral arguments, once people have been exposed to a moral argument, then they need to either refute it, live by it, or accept the consequences of conscious immorality, Right? So if somebody tells me slavery is moral, I either have to refute it, accept it, or if I cannot refute it but still accept it or reject it, either way, then I'm a moral hypocrite. So as far as, you know, my ancestors took some land from, I mean, I don't know, I mean, my ancestors came over with, William the Conqueror in 1066, and I'm sure slaughtered their goodly portion of blue-painted Briton savages and then were sent over to Ireland where they slaughtered, I'm sure, a good bunch more, and I'm sure some of my ancestors were slaughtered by those self-same people in Ireland and so on, and there was some land, uh, and then that land was, you know, we had a drunken great-grandfather who then drank away all that land, and that's all gone now and so on. I mean, saying, was the property legitimately acquired in 1066, when the Normans invaded England, to me is, I mean, who cares? It's what happened. What matters now is property going forward. Now, there's no possible way of unraveling and writing the property violations of history. It's, it's simply not possible to do it because it's, it's creating an alternate universe and imagining that you know the outcome. Well, what would have happened if my ancestors hadn't taken that land? So uh, maybe maybe the peasants were better off because it wasn't like they were all living in a free, lovely state of nature, you know, with with freedom and property rights and free trade and the scientific method and rationalism and so on. And then nasty savages came along and blew that all up there. So... You know, maybe, I mean, a a lot of people under the Roman Empire, I mean, it's a great Monty Python skit about this. What have the Romans ever done for us other than brought peace, combated disease, cleaned up the water, built aqueducts, built roads, facilitated trade, blah, 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 blah. Other than that, what have the Romans ever done for us, (laughs) right? I mean, some people are better off being conquered. So, I mean, there's just no way to unravel all of that stuff. In history. Now, as far as the present goes, yeah, you know, there's some unraveling to be done, which is the first recognition that it's just a universally preferable behavior. It's just a universalization thing. If any individual can arbitrarily claim entire sections of land, then all individuals can arbitrarily claim any section of land, which all cancels each other out and you've solved nothing, right? Well, I have the Western Hemisphere, says I. Well, I have the Western Hemisphere, says you. And what does that mean? We've just made some noises and nothing is actually resolved anything. Now, two people cannot simultaneously really practically work to develop the same land at the same time. Because if they both start, they won't continue until property is resolved. Right? I'm not going to build a house right next to somebody else who's building a house in the middle of nowhere until the property is resolved. It just doesn't happen. Which is one of the reasons why that, that sort of homesteading can be, can be universalized. So um, going forward, what happens to government-owned lands? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my guess would be that the most just thing to do would be to auction it off and take whatever proceeds you could and, and use it to make sure that the people who couldn't vote ended up with less debt or less deficiencies. Right? Everyone who votes is morally responsible, for the government. And certainly, people before the age of voting should receive restitution because they sure as hell didn't vote to be in the government schools. They didn't vote for government debt or anything like that. So, the people, the, the, the kids would get money from the sale of government lands in, in a just system. But, you know, that's not going to be enforced in a democratic system because kids don't vote. It requires the development of the empathy that we talked about in the previous call. But that's, I think, the only just way uh, to do it. Um, you know, another way to do it would be to simply open the lands. You know, cancel all the debts and open the lands and say they're now officially unowned and go homestead as you see fit. I don't, but I don't know. I mean, does that? It's sort of like the war on drugs. You know, let's say they legalize marijuana tomorrow. What happens to the millions of people? whose lives were destroyed because of the war on drugs, because they were in possession of a substance that is now legal. Do we pay them restitution? Well, how can we? Because the only way to pay them restitution is to steal from people in the here and now. And so, I don't know. Obviously, it's a huge problem. Of course, the legalization of drugs, nobody ever talks about restitution. I mean, we can talk about restitution from slavery 150 years ago, and we can't talk about Restitution for victims of the drug war, if it ever gets legalized, governments don't like to talk about that at all. But I don't know. I mean, that's uh, I think a much more important issue than how my ancestors' land was distributed a thousand years ago. Does Does that help at all?
4: Yeah, and and um. So the other thing I wanted to ask was in the case of the the hypothetical, uh, person buying a bunch of land and then setting up some, you know, democratic society. That was based on private ownership. So, I mean, yeah, everybody who moved there, you know, they built, ho- you know, the owner built homes and leased them out or whatever. Everybody who moved there originally would be a voluntary owner. But then, you know, a few generations in their their kids would be born there and their kids' kids. And they would be going to the same schools or they would be going to public schools that were funded by these lease payments and, and whatever premiums, in the form of taxation, required to live there, and I mean, it just seems—no, well, it's not
0: taxation. Sorry, it's not—it's not taxation if it's a voluntary contract, right? Like that's to okay, say—that's right. to say that okay, condo fees, right. the condo fees are identical to taxation, which I think is morally unsustainable, right?
4: Right, but but the only reason that it's not voluntary is because people who live here or. Tell me if I'm wrong about this is because if you're paying taxes even though you didn't actually choose to move to the United States. You were born here as opposed yes. to in that – as opposed to people living in that USA government company. Uh,
0: well, of actually, course, children in general yeah. – sorry. Children in general don't pay – they only pay time tax by being stuck in the prisons of public schools. They don't pay tax tax in general. Right? Buy a candy bar or whatever, right? But uh, it's, um, yeah, if, so if you're born in some place, like if, if if you're born to a place with condo fees, let's just take a condominium because it's think, the closest, right? Yep. So when my wife and I had a condo, we paid, I don't know, 200 bucks a month in condo fees. That, that was not a tax, right? That That's like saying, well, I've got a house, but if I have to pay for heating it, that's a tax. Like we paid for maintenance of the common areas, we paid for uh, repairs, uh, we paid for you know, the security guard at the front, all of which we knew going in and we could have chosen a place with cheaper condo fees and so on. Right now, if my daughter, if we, if we, if we still lived in that place and my daughter did not like those condo fees, then she could uh, move when she grew up. Right. She's not paying those condo fees when she's a kid. Right.
4: But doesn't that apply to somebody living in the United States? You, I mean, people say this all the time as a as a rebuttal to um, anarchist arguments that oh, well, you could just move if you don't like it, if you don't want to pay the tax or the fees or whatever.
0: Well, first you of can all, move you can't to another move. Another country, you can't move. I mean, how how do they think you can just go move to another country? I mean, this is only idiots who've never thought about it and certainly never tried. Oh, just, just you know, look, look up. How, how do you move to Germany?
4: Well, you have to have a lot of money because, but it's not the mechanics of it are not really different. You just have to. No, be no, able the, the,
0: to the, it's it's a, you you have to apply for. You have to go live there. You have to buy property. Sometimes you have to apply for citizenship. It can take years.
4: But that's just the same as moving. And you can from still get taxed. To
0: you can still get taxed when you go to Germany, from, from from America. I mean, the fucking guy moved to Singapore, the Facebook guy, and they still taxed his ass. So right, you, that's, that, it's that's it's literally, it's literally like, like saying you can to you can go. Tonto. We can take an animal from one zoo cage to another, and that's the same as setting him free. And in Germany, you will still be taxed. It's, it, you know what it's like saying? It's like saying the condo fees are ridiculously high. They're like 75% of your condominium rent, right? So you, you're, you're paying 1000 bucks in your condo mortgage a month, and then you have to pay 750 bucks for condo fees. And 90% of those services you'll never use and don't want, but you can't undo that. And everywhere you move in that country there are condo fees and you are never allowed to not own a condo or you're thrown in jail. And if you go to another country, it's going to take you years. It's going to cost you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when you move to that country, you also have to pay condo fees and you are never not allowed to not own a condo. You always have to own a condo. And everywhere you go in the world, you're forced to pay for condo fees or get thrown in jail for services you neither want nor value. Oh, and by the way, the money that you use for those condo fees create, is used as collateral for intergenerational debt. So you have to pay for all this money for services you neither want nor value and that money is then used to, to borrow money the debt of which accumulates to your child against his or her will. So when your child grows up they have to pay those condo fees and all the interest on the debt that was accumulated on the collateral of the forced condo fees that were paid in your name. You know, if that's moral Let's just fucking apply it to condos and see how well that works.
4: Okay. Um, well, I I see your point, but I'm I'm still not convinced. But I under, I I, I oh, get. Tell, where me, you're
0: tell, where, tell me where. Tell me why you're not convinced.
4: Uh, well, I, I mean, anywhere that you move, that you live in, you're gonna have to pay for services, and you can't just – I mean it's more economically efficient to bundle a lot of services together in one at once than to to pick and choose – I'm sorry.
0: What the hell does economic efficiency have to do with anything? It's econ- I mean kids cost over a million dollars I mean, to raise. It's where, economically where the, efficient for parents to strangle their own children. What the hell does economic efficiency have to do with anything I mean, even if it were true? Okay.
4: Maybe it doesn't, but, but I don't, I don't Wait, know hang on, you... hang on,
0: hang on, hang yeah. on. Is it economically efficient to have pets? No. <laughs> no, so uh, by this argument we should all be, you know, str- flushing our goldfish down the toilet and strangling our cats.
4: Right, but I mean what I w- what I was getting at was anywhere that you live you you are going to have to pay for basic services which you might think are too high but it's not really avoidable, is it?
0: <laughs> I'm I don't know what you mean. I mean it's like saying you, you can choose to get married or not. But if you had a country where you had to legally – you were forced to get married, right, then that would be immoral, right? And I'd say, well, but you could avoid being forced to get married by the government by moving to another country where a different government would force you to get married. And that's the same as having the choice to get married or not. I mean that doesn't make any sense, right? Right. Lots of people do want to get married for sure and lots of people – like security guards and buffed floors and and TV rooms in their condo, but some people don't, right? I mean, some people have kids and then are responsible for educating those kids, and some people don't have kids and are damn well not responsible for educating kids, right? Yeah. Some people want cars and some people don't want cars. Some people like to bicycle. And the idea, I mean, people providing services... First of all, you can choose the level of services, and second of all, you know that economic efficiency is being achieved when you have the maximum competition of people who are vying to give you your services, right? How do I know I'm getting a really good price when I go to Walmart? Because Walmart works really hard to grind down the bids of people who want to sell through Walmart. Because Walmart has so much volume in terms of what they sell that they can demand a very small profit on the part of the people who sell to them or sell through them, right? So if you're, I don't know, whoever makes that damn slap chop thing, right? If, if they're being sold through Walmart, you know for sure that Walmart got pretty much the best available price because Walmart offers the widest possible distribution, right? And everyone's competing to sell through Walmart. And so the people who can successfully sell through Walmart are the people who've got the greatest economic efficiency possible. I mean, give or take, it's, it's your best guarantee, right? You don't have that guarantee when you go to get a car license or a driver's license, right? Or government schools. There's no economic efficiency in coercion. Coercion, by definition, is win-lose, right? The thief gets your wallet and you get to not get shot by the thief. It's win-lose, right? So wherever coercion is not present, it's win-win. And if my daughter grows up and doesn't like the condo fees, she can leave. Now, does that mean she won't need heat? No. But nobody's coercing her to stay, and nobody's forcing her to enter into an unjust contract that is coercively implemented wherever she goes. She has the choice, and everybody who's interacting with her has the choice. In the face of taxation, it's coercive. It is not analogous to a private contract. It is the complete opposite of a private contract. Now, both involve contracts to some degree, although there's no such thing as a contract with the government. But both such things involve the exchange of services and the exchange of money, right? Absolutely. A private condo fee is paying money for services, and property taxes is paying money for services. Absolutely. But so what? You know, both lovemaking and rape involve a penis and vagina, but they're not the same. The element of coercion makes them completely opposite. The opposite of lovemaking is not abstinence, but rape. And the opposite of a voluntary contract is not no contract, but a coerced contract. They're moral opposites. Charity is the giving of money to people voluntarily. Now, if somebody sticks a knife in my ribs and says, give me 50 bucks, you could say that I voluntarily choose to give them 50 bucks because I want to not have a knife in my ribs. But it is not the same as charity. Theft is the opposite of charity, even though they both involve the exchange of, like the voluntary transfer, of one-sided voluntary transfer of goods. It's the element of coercion. You're getting lost in all these complications of, well, you still have to pay for services and so on. It's like saying to a rape victim, well, you're still going to have to have sex, so just get raped. No. No, the element of coercion, the knife to the throat, means that you can't conflate it with sex. You cannot conflate it with a voluntary interaction, a coercive interaction. The fact that there may be similar mechanics, who cares? It's the knife to the throat that makes it rape. And it's the threat of prison that makes it theft and immoral. And to try and analogize that with some voluntary contract, I think is is really missing a foundational element of ethics.
4: Okay, so suppose like, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, okay, so even if there were no government, like, let's say you could just reset the world free of all governments. Then couldn't some, you know, the the wealthiest people hoard or not hoard, but corner the market on certain goods and services and then essentially coerce you into paying inflated prices for those things. And then it would amount to the same thing. Or is that different?
0: Wait, so are you saying like some company buys up? i don't know like a bunch of electricity companies and yeah. then they charge more
4: yeah like that
0: but I, I don't know what you mean sorry i don't know what you mean when you say inflated price
4: well they can if they have all of the supply then they can charge you more money because there's no competition because they bought up all the competition so they corner the market
0: well that's the government right so obviously right, you're that, not talking but, about the free market the only example but, you have of that is the government but, that, but i mean there's no look you 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 oh god you cannot get a monopoly in a free market. I don't know if you've ever been involved in business. No, I haven't. Okay, first of all, there's no such thing as an inflated price. Let me tell you something. Everything I buy has an inflated price. Why? Because I want to pay 0 for everything. In fact, I would like to get paid for buying stuff. I would like someone to give me a million dollars for getting an iPad. No, a billion dollars. Wait, I have to pay 600 bucks for an iPad. Well, that's a billion six hundred different than what I want. Every price is inflated to the purchaser, and every price is depressed for the seller. The seller always wants more, and the purchaser always wants to pay less. There is no such thing as an inflated price. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so using that term is to say that there's some metaphysical fair price, and higher than that is unfair. That, that's, that makes no sense. Right? It's whatever you accept as wages on the free market is what you're worth. Now, you can say, well, I should be paid 10 times the amount. But I mean, that doesn't, I don't even know what that means. That's like saying Angelina Jolie should have married me instead of Brad Pitt. I mean, we recognize that as an irrational fantasy, right? There's no such thing as who Angelina Jolie should have married, right? I mean, she married who she married, right? So there's no such thing as an inflated price. Now, If some company wants to go around some entire country and buy up all the electricity suppliers, that will be completely impossible. Because the moment anyone suspects that you're trying to gain a monopoly, the price of all the remaining assets will go up enormously. Because those people will know that the major reason that the company is buying up all of these assets is because they want to have a monopoly. Which means the first guy will sell for a small amount, the second guy will sell for a higher amount, and the 500th guy will sell for, like won't sell because the price will be out of reach. So the amount of, like if there are five companies each worth $100 million, you don't get them for $500 million because each time you get one company, the next company's value and price goes up. Because they know you're trying to get a monopoly, which means that they know that your end game means that it only works if everyone sells. So the moment anyone thinks you're trying to get a monopoly, the price of those companies goes up because, and I'll tell you why, because let's say you want to get four of those five companies, you have to start raising prices to pay for the debt you've taken on to buy those companies, right? And so if you buy five, there are five companies in a market, you buy four of them, let's just say you magically get them for $400 million. Well, you've got $400 million worth of debt that the fifth company doesn't have. So you've got to raise prices. And the fifth company is going to make a killing because they don't have to raise prices. You've just priced yourself out of the marketplace. You've shot yourself in the foot. And you basically granted a huge advantage to the one company you can't buy or won't buy or are too much in debt. And everybody knows this in the free market, which is why companies very rarely go for monopolies. And the occasional companies who try fail and generally go out of business. And the other thing that happens, too, is that companies enjoy a healthy rivalry. Why do you think Coke has never bought Pepsi? Because you get a huge advantage from other people advertising in your market space. Pop is good. Pop is goo, cool. Pop is great. And then you go to the restaurant and say, I'll have a pop. I'll take a Coke. And they say, well, we only serve Pepsi here. What do you say? Fuck that. Bring me gator piss instead. No, you're like, okay, I'll have a Pepsi, right? Because Coke is uh, Coca-Cola Cola is good. I'll take one or the other, right? So... Monopolies are not, they're not hugely valuable. I mean, because if you want to start rent seeking because you're a monopoly, you're just opening yourself up to competition. And in a free market world, that competition can come from anywhere, anywhere in the world. So, no, it's, you know, I think you're, you know, if you've got a problem with monopoly, worry about the free market and worry about the government. That's the only place where monopoly can ever be shown to work, even temporarily. Does that make any sense?
4: Yeah. And um, so so one last thing that I wanted to say, um, I, I think you've said on previous shows that um, you don't encourage people to try to get too involved in politics to change the way that society works and rather to be focused on better parenting and child raising. Is that, because I know I know I, someone he called you about um, asking about libertarian politics and you said, well, they've been trying for... Forty years to educate people and change people's views, and it hasn't worked. So, is that a fair?
0: Yeah, I mean, way there's a lot of arguments, your but opinion? those are fine okay. arguments. Yeah.
4: Okay, because I mean, I, I personally think that that it is worth getting involved in in political views because I think one of the reasons you you were you opposed it or did, were discouraging of it is because you said that people, it's already too late for like adults if they haven't been exposed to the ideas of freedom from their parents. But, but I don't really see that because a lot of the people that I know who have anarchist views or have been, they didn't get that from their parents. I mean, they, they discovered it on, you know, from other people after they were, after they were adults already. So I I do think it is possible to, um,
0: no, but sorry, but the people who get let's say subject. let's say people get skeptical about the Federal Reserve because of Ron Paul, right? Yeah. So what? Is thats that is that gonna make so, them not hit their kids or not circumcise their kids or stay home with their kids or breastfeed their kids or I mean what what's that gonna do? It's gonna mean they're knowledgeable about the Federal Reserve. So what well,
4: it might it might make them vote for somebody who would dissolve the Federal Reserve and stop printing money.
0: Okay, let's say they do that. How on earth is the government... Look, first of all, the government can't function if it stops printing money. I mean, that that would require at least, at least an immediate 50% reduction in government spending. At least, probably more. I mean, they can't even slow the rate of growth. And you're talking about, well, maybe voters can get the government to cut 50%. So you're saying to the voters, vote for some guy, and immediately your income will drop down significantly. Well, if, if people... Will, and, and there's a test for this, right? So if you're saying to people, act on free market principles and lower your income, you can test that. You don't need to go to voters and theoretical, right? What you should do is you should write to free market economists who are currently employed in universities, right? And you should say, on principle... You should quit working for the university, which is a statist institution and you should take a significant drop in your income and and your retirement. And you should then you know become a podcaster or you should go and work for a purely private institution or right on principle, you should take a significant drop in your income and you should start paying for your own health care and you should uh, give up your retirement benefits. And those people should do that, right? Because they are deeply knowledgeable about the values and virtues of the free market, right?
4: Well, that because it doesn't really work unless everybody's doing it. I mean, if only one person does no, it, no, then no, of course no, they're no, going to
0: lose No, then. no, no. First of all, waiting for everyone to do something is just a way of saying, I never want to bother having it done, right? Well, well that's I mean, what the point is. I mean, I, I go get is. a haircut even if other people around me have long hair, right? I mean, if someone around me doesn't brush their teeth, I don't say, well, shit, I guess I'm going to lose my teeth. Oh, what? That guy doesn't floss? Shit. Now I can't floss. Right? You you do what's right because it's the right thing. You know, if you say, well, everyone has to do it and then it's going to work or a majority has to do it, therefore it's going to work. I mean, it just means you don't want to get anything done, right? But if you're arguing that... Politics results in increased knowledge of free market principles, which will then cause people to act against their own self-interest in pursuit of those free market principles. Easy peasy. Test that with the people who have the greatest knowledge of free market principles. Listening to a couple of Ron Paul speeches is nowhere comparable to getting a PhD in Austrian economics, right? So this is a testable hypothesis. You write to all of the people who get state benefits who have a deep knowledge of free market economics, and you say you need to give up 50% of your income to live in conformity with your values. And if they say, shoot, you know what? That never really occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. I'm going to hand you my letter of resignation tomorrow. And I'm going to go be a podcaster and talk to people and live with integrity and not take government benefits and blah de blah blah right? Well, then you have an example which says that if you can give people PhDs in free market economics... Then they may act against their economic self-interest for the sake of their principles, right? Yeah. And therefore, that would be a necessary but not sufficient test of your principles. Now, what do you think would happen if you tried that plan?
4: Well, but that's the whole point. It doesn't. If what only What do you think one, would
0: happen if you tried that would, plan?
4: No, they would. No, they would not do that because. But it's just like it. That's just like asking someone to stop paying taxes because
0: nope. if you pay taxes, nope. okay. it's not. No, it's not like asking. I'm not asking them to do anything illegal. Asking people to stop paying taxes is saying go to jail. Saying to free market economists stop sucking at the state tit is a purely voluntary, non-jail, non-illegal. It is not illegal to quit your job as an academic, right? And it right. is much more in conformity with your principles. So you're not asking people to do anything illegal if you're asking them to give up government benefits, right? What do you think would happen if you ask free market economists employed at universities or political think tanks to go into the free market and stop accepting government benefits?
4: Well, they would say no because they like their job and they like getting paid as much as they can.
0: Right. So even if you gave everyone a PhD education in free market economics – It wouldn't change one goddamn thing about their addiction to state power and money, right? So the idea that political education is going to bring us freedom is, is disproven completely and totally. And it didn't even take that long, right?
4: Well, I don't, I don't think the reason that free market economist professors work for universities is because they like working for universities. It's because they, the, the government has cornered the market or they've, they've, monopolize the education system to an extent. So
0: that's... Well, you haven't, you have, have, have you asked make... them? Walter Block says he gets paid, what, 150000 $170,000 a year and he gets sabbaticals and summers off and he works three to four hours a week. The government has not monopolized the education system. I mean, do you understand? You're talking to somebody who educates people, right? I mean, you're telling me the government has a monopoly on education. I educate people. Or rather, they educate themselves, but, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm I not an educator. I've got no license in anything, but I bring facts I and arguments and evidence to bear on the public discourse. I mean, you're telling me I don't exist while talking to me. I
4: mean, no, <laughs> I, I meant, I meant that. Well, okay. Well, but they can obviously make more money at their job than they can doing it like as a private enterprise.
0: Like, How do you know?
4: Well, I don't know. I don't know, but I guess they think they can, so that's why they do it. I'm assuming they're...
0: Well, uh, yeah, but they, they think they can. Largest. Of course, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. People will hold on to the financial advantage they have rather than risking something new, other than entrepreneurs, right? They're not entrepreneurs. I mean, they're bureaucrats. So, of course, they think they're going to do better hanging on to state privilege, which is exactly why political education will never work. Because people would rather hold on to the benefits they have than take a cut and risk for a better life. Look, a free market economist can go write some book and, uh, you know, Tom Woods got like, what, four New York Times bestsellers? Probably making some pretty good money off that, right? But then they'd have to subject themselves to the free market, right? Rather than handing out more free passes to state goodies in the form of mentoring people through PhD programs, right? I mean, free market economists, they have no fucking clue whether anyone's interested in the topics themselves or whether they just want the free goodies that they have too, right? I mean, I know people who listen to me really care about philosophy because I've got the the Churchill argument. I have nothing to offer you but blood, tears, toil, and sweat, right? And so I know the people who are interested in this show are really interested in philosophy. I can't give anyone a free pass to make $170,000 a year for working three hours a week. I can't give anyone tenure. I can't give anyone summers off. In fact, what I offer to people is a pretty miserable existence for quite some time. So I am fully confident that the people who listen to this show really, really care about philosophy and virtue. You know, if I offer you an iPod and a blowjob by Kate Moss, I'll never know if you have any interest in the iPod. Right? And if I say, well, I'll teach you economics and in return you can get the kind of sweet state-subsidized coerced ride that I have, I'll never know if you're ever interested in learning or if you just really like the idea of becoming an academic, which is a pretty sweet ride, right? I mean, other than the fact that you're a complete fucking hypocrite, it's a pretty sweet ride. I mean, if you can stomach that, (laughs) if you can stomach that, being an abolitionist who buys and sells slaves, if you can stomach that, okay, well, then I guess it's a fit position for you. But the idea that education and free market principles is going to get people to give up status benefits. I mean, you you know, you can solve that in five minutes. Now, you obviously want to hang on to it, which I can understand, but you understand that the argument is a smoking crater, right? Now, as to why it's seductive, I completely understand why. Talking to people about the Federal Reserve is a whole lot easier than saying don't hit your children. Don't circumcise your children. Child abuse is immoral. That's the initiation of force we can do something about. You can tell your cousin, your uncle, your father, your hairdresser's cousin's second roommate, death star occupant, don't hit your kids. And they can do that. Waiting until 51% of people want to vote for a guy who's actually, rather than just say he says he is, is actually going to shut down the Fed, means you never have to confront anyone on any actionable moral item. And they can lie to you. Oh, yeah, I voted for that guy. You don't know. But if your brother's hitting his kids and you talk to him and you say, listen, dude, what you're doing is immoral. You've got to stop hitting your kids. Well, you know whether he's still hitting his kids. This is something he can actually do. And it's a hell of a lot harder than talking to him about the Federal goddamn Reserve, right? And I mean that with sympathy. It is incredibly harder. Go give a speech to some young Americans for liberty about the Federal Reserve. It's a fine thing to do. I've done it myself. Why not? But I don't imagine that them hearing that speech is going to change one location of any bullet in the world and its proposed destination. It's interesting knowledge to have. It's useful knowledge to have. But the change is confronting people on their personal immoralities, not the abstract immoralities that we've inherited that no individual can do anything about. Right? Saying to a person, vote for peace is exactly the same as saying pray for a cure. No, you want a cure, you roll your goddamn sleeves up, you get into the lab, or you fund a lab, or you start working on a cure. But prayer is about as efficacious as politics. Prayer is, I don't really want to do anything, but I don't want to confront that I'm not doing anything, so let me make up something I'm pretending to do. And again, I mean this with sympathy, and I mean this like I was trapped in this for years. And that's not an argument. That's an annoying thing to say, and I appreciate it. But what I mean by that is I completely empathize with it. I spend a lot of time talking to people about politics and economics, and I still enjoy it. It's fun. It's like a hobby. You know, I I like squash. I don't think it's going to displace Putin. (laughs) Right? It's it's a fun hobby. It's a good mental exercise. But if you want to get a sense of how hard it is, next time you see a parent yell at or hit their children talk to them gently and say, listen, this is not good. What you're doing is, is impractical and immoral. It's harming your child, and you're initiating force against your child. That is a heart-stoppingly difficult thing to do, which is why everybody wants to talk about the Fed. But I really appreciate your call. And look, I sympathize. You may not believe me now, you may not believe me for five years or ten years, but at some point you'll get it. Which again, I know is not an argument and is an annoying thing to say, but it's true nonetheless. Thank you so much for your call. Mike, I guess we can do one more. Sorry for everyone who's waiting.
1: right, Vasil, you're next, my friend. Go ahead.
5: Hi, Steph. Hello. Uh, Actually, I wanted to uh, talk to you. Uh, It's not uh, actually a question. It's more like an elaboration on your ideas, which I heard from your podcast, uh, so first, my admirations, I uh, I know you since last summer, and um, you totally made a uh, difference in my life, because um, previously, I've never heard someone talk uh, as um, logically and as consistently as yourself. So uh, actually, I was a zeitgeist follower for a couple of years, and uh, I, I never got the... Uh, idea to practically implementing Sidegeist. so uh, I was trying to see uh, how it could be done and so on, and then I discovered your works, and I, I totally, uh, it, it fit like uh, the last piece, t- piece in the puzzle, and um, I, I, I understood why Sidegeist was just uh, uh, utopia, which cannot be practic- practically applied.
0: Well, thank and, you. And uh, look, I appreciate then, all those very kind words. I just wanted to say that that really uh, that means a lot to me. And uh, I really appreciate okay. what you're saying. I appreciate that a lot. But uh, please go ahead.
5: Okay. So, um, in your podcasts, you, you talk about these DROs, the Dispute Resolution Organizations. And uh, I don't know if you're still with this idea, but um, I was thinking about uh, it and uh, about the stateless society. And uh, I actually uh, realized that uh, stateless society is uh, not necessarily required in order to have uh, freedom. And actually what we uh, now have with the governments uh, is uh, we're almost there. It's just this element of um, force and um, compulsion, which everyone is forced to pay taxes, everyone is forced to be a citizen of specific government. So uh, governments actually operate just as the uh, private companies. Uh, we can imagine it as a um, uh, corporation with shareholders. And and the only uh, problem which I see is that the governments are a f- forced monopolies.
0: Sorry, you know that, yeah, I mean, the forced monopolies thing is you know let's pretend we're on a date when you're locked in the back of my van is not a date, right? Yeah. So the forced monopoly thing is means that you can't think of it in terms of a shareholder based corporation, right? Uh,
5: yes, that, that's the difference, that's the only difference with shareholder based corporation that the shareholders are free to sell their stock or, uh they are free to um, elect uh, uh, actually actually the, there's only uh, this difference no, that they no, can sell the stock there's and-
0: many many differences. sorry, there's many differences between owning corporate stock and being a citizen. First of all corporations to some degree are state entities but let's not even worry about that for the moment. let's pretend that yep. they're purely private. So I am not forced to consume the products of any corporation. I am not forced exactly. to buy the stock of that corporation. The corporation cannot use my stock as collateral to in people who have nothing to do with the corporation. Right? So if I buy $500 worth of Apple stock, I don't know. Can you even buy? I think it's even higher than that now. But let's say I buy $5 million worth of Apple stock with someone else's money. I then don't get to pass that debt on to your children. Right? Yeah. I cannot buy Apple stock right now uh, on a bond That will force other people to make good my debt 30 years in the future.
5: Yeah.
0: Right? Um, A corporation cannot kidnap my children for 12 years and indoctrinate them on how wonderfully great uh, corporations are. And and that particular corporation in particular. Corporations cannot declare war. Yeah. Right? Uh, And so so uh, these are just... Uh, uh, there's so many things. Corporations cannot issue their own currency and then shoot people who don't want to use it.
5: No, no, I'm totally with you. Uh, if you allow me to, um, yeah, please uh, elaborate a, a bit more on this. Um, so uh, actually, we uh, we are uh, kind of uh, three different classes of people. We uh, uh, we are. Um, Customers of this corporation, we are shareholders, and some of them uh, work in management, uh, like in employees, uh, public workers. And people often confuse these uh, different roles, uh, but actually, uh, everything you said uh, is true completely. And uh, I would propose a simple, very simple change which would take us. Um, to the uh, where we need to be and these changes uh, everyone needs to uh, have signed a contract with the government in order to be a customer or in order to be a shareholder of the government and uh, if people can create their own governments or maybe become sovereigns without any citizenship uh, and, and they uh, will freely decide to um, Be a citizen and pay taxes or be a citizen of a different government or maybe just use the services of the government by paying uh, their price and not be
0: a citizen. Okay, but sorry, but, but then you can't use the word government anymore, right? It's like saying, well, you know, rapists can ask their victims if they want to be raped and if the victims say yes, they can rape them. Right. Uh, If somebody says, yes, I want to have sex with you, it's not rape. Like You can't then use the same word, right? So if you're saying, well, we can voluntarily enter into contracts with governments and we can choose to leave and we can pick and choose our services or we can choose no services at all, then it's not a government anymore, right?
5: Okay. I I don't insist on the word government, but I say that uh, if we have a similar structure to what we have now, but it's completely voluntary, then – we we don't need to change the structure radically we just uh, exterminate the compulsion from that and the fo- the initiation of uh, force and then we get to where we need to be actually we're not that, that far from that fr- from there
0: well i certainly agree with you that all we need to do is eliminate the compulsory aspect you know whether you think that's a small change or a big change uh, i think it's a big change i think it's a pretty foundational change but uh, if you think it's a small change uh, I'm not going to particularly argue with you about that as long as we're in agreement with the, with the goal.
5: No, I'm completely on the same page as you. And uh, actually, if I can get to my question, so I, I was uh, thinking about uh, practically applying such a concept. So we we might have a uh, couple of uh, competitional or go- uh, governments which are in competition with each other, nope. and they
0: operate. No, no. See, no? see. The moment you start, the moment you start talking about competition and voluntarism, you can't use the term government. That's, that's okay. very confused.
5: Okay. Let's. Let, let's name it something else, uh, proposal. What about a DRO? Okay. Let's, let's name them DRO. Um, okay. So if, if those DROs, uh, can operate even on the same territory, uh, they don't need to own the territory. They can just operate the, there. Uh, yeah. but, uh, they can certainly, uh, as a private entity, they can own some territory. So, uh, Uh, And and neighbors need to respect each other's rights. So what would happen to a neighbor which uh, decides for, uh, or or not decides, but uh, my neighbor, for example, infringes my rights and I somehow need to uh, make him um, comply and uh, don't, don't, don't infringe my rights? How do I do this?
0: Well, can you give me an example?
5: Uh, okay. L- let's say um, uh, I am a sovereign. Uh, I don't. I- I'm not a citizen of any DRO, or I'm not a customer of any DRO. Uh, and uh, my neighbor is also a sovereign. Uh, but uh, we, as a, a whole, have uh, uh, created a kind of alliance, a sovereign alliance, and we said uh, everyone will respect uh, the rights of others, and and we. Create like a trade organization. We we trade freely with each other, and then uh, uh, my neighbor, for example, uh, likes to smoke, and I think that this smoke will cause me lung cancer, for example. So uh, on on the one hand, m- my neighbor needs to respect my rights to uh, free uh, uh, to um, unpolluted air. On the other hand, I can. Uh, abuse the, uh, my rights and, and uh, uh, make uh, uh, make up some problems which my neighbor causes me in order to uh, blackmail him for money. How how do we handle this situation with your proposal? So,
0: um, is your issue that you don't want to breathe somebody else's secondhand smoke? That's sort of an example.
5: Like this. Uh, uh, he creates pollution. I think he's uh, infringing yeah, yeah. my rights. I need to enforce my rights. Uh, Or, on the other hand. uh,
0: So, if you're. I I lie. Hang on. Okay. So, if you're in a neighborhood and there are 10 houses in some little street, then what happens is when you buy the house, the condition of sale is that you don't pollute other people's stuff. And if you pollute other people's stuff, then you have to go to an arbitrator. And you agree to abide by the decision of that arbitrator. And then you get to, to buy the house, right? Because it's sold. By. And the reason that somebody would build 10 houses and require that as a condition of sale is because they don't want idiots and jerks moving into a neighborhood, right? Because he can make more money if he sells people this house on the condition of compliance with a particular set of community standards, right? Yes. And so if you then end up polluting somebody else's house or you blow in smoke through their mailbox window or something. Yeah. Then the neighbor's going to say, well, no, you can't do that. And here's, you know, and you keep doing it. Then you say, okay, well, I'm going to have to take you to the arbitrator. And the arbitrator is going to come and it's going to say, well, no, you're doing the wrong thing here. You've got to stop. And if you don't stop, then you lose title to your house. That's the contract you signed yeah. when you bought the house. Uh,
5: right? uh, what if they have, uh, for example, this situation, if... Uh, uh, I'm a sovereign. I don't uh, – I decide to take care of all my, uh, my stuff and I, I don't need to be a customer of this DRO and some other neighbor is also a sovereign and, and initially we are in good uh, relations. No, hang on, hang on. But then, no, wait, wait,
0: wait. Yeah. wait. If, so if you're saying that you're not going to participate economically in the society?
5: no i will participate in the society but uh, i will well, not but then you be need a, un- then you need someone zero. who's hang
0: on hang on then you need someone who's going to help you resolve disputes right so if you order electricity the ele- you know which i assume you would then the electric yeah. uh, electrical company the electricity company is going to be aware that you might not pay your bill right and so they're going to say well who am i going to talk to if you don't pay your bill and you say, well, I don't have any economic negotiators on my behalf. And they're going to say, sorry, we're not going to uh, uh-huh. we're not gonna supply electricity to you. Because their DRO will say, you don't supply electricity to people who don't have any DROs. Because we can't, yeah. you know, or if you do, your insurance costs are going to go through the roof, right? And then let's say that the person wants um, heating, right? Or let's say that the person wants water to come to their house. And they say, I am not going to have any coverage whatsoever. Well, why would anyone want to do business with someone like that? They've openly stated that they don't want to pay a few bucks a month for economic protection for whoever they're doing business with. So they're uh, openly uh, signaling that they have no intention fundamentally of keeping their contracts. And they have no protection. And they're so clueless that they don't even know that to do business with other people, you're going to need some insurance and protection. Nobody is going to want to do business with that person. So there's not Uh, going to be anyone in a neighborhood. Now, you go live in the woods, nobody gives a shit, right? I mean, if you want to go build a cabin in the middle of nowhere, fine. Nobody cares, right? But if you're going to live in close proximity to other human beings, then you're going to need that kind of stuff. And if you don't uh, have that kind of stuff, you won't be able to live in proximity to other human beings. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Yeah, So, <laughs> sorry for interrupting you. So no, uh, I, I was actually, uh, maybe I misunderstood your ideas because uh, I was uh, thinking that uh, for each uh, um, trade relation which I come into, I will need to choose an arbitrator, but uh, I don't necessarily need uh, a constant arbitrator for everything I do.
0: Well, I don't understand what you mean. You know, there's a complaint center for Visa, right? If you feel that you've been treated badly by some vendor, you can go to Visa or. But the idea that you call them on every dispa- on every dis- every transaction doesn't make any sense, right?
5: Okay. Yeah. So so basically, uh, you say uh, it will be uh, like a permanent contract. Uh, like I have um, telephone number and I have permanent contract with my telephone company this will be exactly the same relation to the DRO?
0: Well, no, no. I mean, the DRO is invoked in in case of a conflict which cannot be resolved through normal channels of negotiation, right? Yeah. Right, so I, I have conflicts with people uh, and companies in my life, and uh, I call them up, right? And I say, listen, I didn't like this or I didn't like that, and we have a negotiation, Right. Right? So I had some problem with my internet service provider. I called them up. I said, this isn't working. I'm not satisfied. And they said, okay, we're not going to charge you for this month, right? That's fine, right? Now, through normal channels of negotiation, most conflicts between reasonable human beings can be resolved, right? Yes. But if there are other conflicts, in other words, either both people are irrational or one person is irrational, then you need somebody who is going to... um, Negotiate and enforce the conclusion, right? But it's very rare. I mean, I think maybe twice in my entire life I've had to go beyond negotiation to enforceability. And I have had a life of an unusual set of circumstances. So it's incredibly rare. I mean, I don't know, do you have a credit card? How many times have you called requiring for arbitration? None. (laughs) Right, so... You know, and, and this is with a, a world of crazy people. <laughs> right? In in the world of the future, when we have a free society, people are gonna be negotiating. My daughter like negotiates from the age of two onwards. She's gonna know how to negotiate, right? I mean, Mike, you've you've seen it, right?
1: Yeah, something actually popped into mind. We were playing uh, Monopoly Junior yesterday, and uh, she passed Go on the board, and she was negotiating with the bank about how much money she should get.
0: <laughs> if $2 is not enough. <laughs> I, I feel the need for more. Don't, don't let me call her the union. <laughs> yeah, everything. Right, when we say, you know, you can stay up for more minutes, I think, what does she say? 21, 22, 23, 25. And occasionally she'll get confused, right? and go down. Okay, not 29. How's 28? Occasionally, you know, but most times she's up. Uh, so everything for my daughter is is not a statement of authority, but the opening salvo in a fairly lengthy negotiation process is that, I mean, you, you have the same thing whenever you're with her, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Everything's a negotiation. And that's great. I really like it that way. It allows you to get creative and
0: figure out something that works for both people. Yeah. And of course, it uh, trains her on how to find win-win situations as much as possible now of course she's five so she's focused more on her own pleasure than win-win but you know she's five right so we're just working to sort of steer that a little bit more towards one direction than another so by the time in a free society this I mean this is how you raise children why because a it means you don't get to impose authority which is you know occasionally tempting but generally sucky and B, because it's my job to prepare her for success in the world, and success in the world means negotiation, right? Which means that other people's needs are never going to be an absolute for her, but a statement of preference which she can then negotiate with, right? And uh, yeah, it's time-consuming, but not nearly as time-consuming as coercion, <laughs> right, or, or authoritarianism. And so yeah, she's she's got my cold last night. I was tired. It's midnight. I wanted to head to bed. Wanted to be rested for this show. She got up. And I ended up getting to bed around two. And, uh, you know, but that's just the way things are. So when she grows up, she's going to have, you know, when she's 18, she's going to have 16 years experience in negotiating. And so she's also going to know what not negotiating looks like when somebody's just inflicting something, right? And she she just back away from that kind of person. You know, like if I if I talk to someone on a bus and they answer me in fluent Cantonese, conversation's can't kind of over. Because we don't speak each other's language. I'm sorry. I can't even say, sorry, I can't chat. And so she's going to know what negotiation looks like. She's going to understand it. She's going to be almost infinitely experienced in it. And all that does not teach children negotiation contributes to the tyranny of this planet. Negotiation is the opposite of coercion. And it is the inoculation and antidote to coercion. It's the inoculation against coercion. All that does not promote negotiation among children is a recipe for tyranny and exploitation. And if you look at the number of institutions around the world that do not promote negotiation among children, you will understand why coercion and tyranny and exploitation is so prevalent. I mean, do you think a Muslim school promotes negotiation among the children? No. Do you think a Jesuit school just does? What about a government school? What about a church? Does that promote negotiation among children? What about parents who spank? Do they promote negotiation? What about parents who put children in timeouts? Does that promote negotiation? No. Punishment and consequentialism are the roots of tyranny in the world. If you're not promoting negotiation with your child, you are creating a future future fascist. You're creating a future dictator. I know that sounds strong, but it's true. What is coercion but a failure to negotiate? And what is a failure to negotiate but a lack of experience in the practice and value of negotiation? So in the future society, there are not going to be a lot of assholes blowing cigarette smoke through your mailbox slot because they will have been taught how to negotiate. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Yeah. Um, so actually, I, I find your educational methods really wonderful. They they did wonders for me. I have a daughter, by the way. Um, she's four years old, and um, recently I started using your methods, and and she's wonderful. I I um, I give her the chance to earn money. To, to buy uh, sweets, so uh, we, we don't have um, arguments, we, we don't scream at each other anymore, and, and when she uh, needs to eat something sweet, I say, you have to pay for it, and, and that's a wonderful way to, to regulate the uh, amount of uh, sweets which she receives. And, and she's uh, very calm, uh, she, she can uh, behave like uh, an adult in this way, I'm totally amazed.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you remember, Mike, what happened when we were coming back from the last play center we went to? We went for dinner. Remember what the waitress asked her?
1: Yeah, she asked her, would you like a juice with dinner today? And she paused and had to think to herself, and she's like, no, I, I won't have juice today. I'll, I'll have water because I'm having ice cream for dessert.
0: Yeah, we were at a restaurant. They have these three tiny little ice creams, and Mike and myself and my daughter had one. And she's, I didn't say anything. She's self-regulated. I'm gonna have more later, so I won't have any now. She loves juice, I and mean, she just had water, and that's what happens when you don't pull <laughs> your children. So, were you having lots of conflicts with your daughter before?
5: Uh, yeah, actually, it was a problem because uh, kids love sweets. Uh, we all know that, and and she wanted to uh, eat too much. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, they should be. Uh, very restricted in their intake because this will uh, create problems with the health, and and that's why we had these arguments and we screamed, uh, no, you ha- you may have this amount but not more, and she wanted more, and then I decided why not let the free market um, uh, just play uh, in-, in this. Regard. Uh, so uh, I created uh, gummy bear dollars. I printed them out, and now uh, he can earn them by by doing something, for example, watering the plants and so on. And when he uh, when she earns the dollars, she can buy gummy bears with them. And uh, w- when she's out of dollars, she cannot eat more.
0: <laughs> right. How old is she? She's four. <laughs> now, see, because you're not coercive with her, you get to explore all of these other opportunities, right? Exactly. And now she's getting effort, labor, prioritization. You know, if you want to expand the currency beyond gummy bears, and she can buy anything she wants with it. I mean, that's pretty cool too, right?
5: Yeah, she, she even uh, uh, she she can um, uh, negotiate, as you said. So uh, sometimes she. Uh, she can require more Dollars for the same work, and uh, sometimes I will say, "Yeah, okay." Sometimes I will say, "No, this is too much." So she learns negotiating, and uh, recently she discovered that she can that uh, her mother and I love her paintings. So he, uh, she optimized her paintings by uh, by uh, just drawing a simple circle with a couple of rays, and that should represent the sun. And every painting costs a dollar. <laughs> so, nice. so she's very. She's very creative in this regard.
0: Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I this is all to... what happens, right? Sorry, go ahead.
5: I wanted to talk to you uh, for another uh, about another topic. Uh, um, it's from another show of yours, which really uh, annoyed me. So someone... Uh, you talked about the, the theft, and uh, sometimes uh, they say uh, theft can be... Um, justified because you may uh, may need to steal something in order to feed your child, and in this case this is not a crime. But then uh, I was really outraged because you don't know uh, whatever you steal, if you can cause uh, the death of another uh, child, for example, for example, if, if your neighbor is poor and you're poor and you steal from your neighbor to feed your child, but your neighbor's child will die, is this not a crime? I mean, you don't know what uh, side effects you're causing with your uh, theft. So this is what I I really needed to share because uh, people somehow justify, ah, in in some uh, situations it's okay to, to steal, in some other situations it's not. You don't know if it's okay because you don't know the side effects of your actions.
0: Yeah, and look, I mean, in a free society, if somebody steals and it turns out they were starving, that society is not going to throw that person in jail. And, and even if they did, and even if there was such a thing as jail, at least they wouldn't starve to death, right? Yeah. Somebody who ends up starving on a street has so many life problems that a free society would help that person. And the idea of just, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that mean they have no family, they have no friends, they have no skills, they have no negotiation capacities, they have no human capital, and they don't even have the common sense to say, you know, as that old song goes, two hours of pushing brooms gets a nine by 12 two-bit room or something like that, king of the road. Yeah, you push a, push a broom for two hours and you've got a room to stay in for the night. And somebody who ends up starving to death is the end domino. That, that moment is the end domino in a life of such unbelievable tragedy and horror that, first of all, there's no way in 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 any reasonable, just, fair, compassionate society that that person would end up in that situation. Everybody just starts in the middle, you know? Like, let's say you're perfectly healthy, and then you're immediately completely diseased. It's like, hang on, right? I mean, so, so, I mean, how does someone end up? I mean, the, the kind of childhood that somebody would have to end up in a situation of stealing through starvation, would never occur in a free society unless people were just completely outside of that society as a whole. Yeah. but I mean, uh, actually, society. W- w- sorry, hang on. Society. Society really wants peaceful children. The governments, police forces, prison profiteers, uh, warmongers, the military-industrial complex—they uh, all want traumatized children. You know, all who profit from human evil are motivated by human evil. Like we all understand that oil companies are not searching madly for an alternative to oil because oil is their profit, right? We, we understand that. We, we, we truly understand that. Somebody who says he's blissfully happy with his romantic partner is not out there trawling for other people to sleep with. Right? The, the, the people who make shaving kits are not investing madly in promoting beard growth. Right, People tend to promote that which they profit by. And the government profits from evil. Without traumatized children, the government wouldn't have any cops, wouldn't have any police, wouldn't have any criminals to frighten you with, wouldn't have dysfunction. There'd be far fewer single moms. And they wouldn't fundamentally have any teachers. You know, to want to step into a classroom where all the children are forced to be there and don't want to be there means to be a teacher, you've got to have a giant empathy center already missing in your brain. I mean, to, it's, it's literally like a woman is forced to go on a date with you. And if you want to go on that date and you pretend like you're having a real date, I mean, you're kind of screwed in the head fundamentally to begin with. I mean, I would never, ever show up to teach anyone anything if they were there at gunpoint. I would not disrespect the entire institution of teaching by showing up to a place where everyone was there at gunpoint. Somebody says, I'm going to force this woman to go on a date with you. I mean, even if I wasn't married, I would never in a million years go. And so... You wouldn't even have teachers if people had empathy, because they'd say, oh, I'd really like to go into a teaching profession, but the kids are forced to be there. They don't want to be there, and I can't really fix any of the problems, and I don't agree with this bullshit curriculum. I'm going to end up teaching kids no valuable economic skills, which means they can't compete with the upper classes. They're going to be bored. I won't be able to confront the parents, and I'm going to have to fail children for failures of society, education, and parenting. I mean, who the fuck would want anything to do with that? So, the entire power structures in the world are entirely invested in childhood trauma. Could you have religion if you had empathy for children? Of course not. Which is why you don't see the Bible overflowing with a rich wave of empathy for children, right, or women for that matter, or anyone who's not a Christian for that matter. So in a free society, though, everyone profits from happy children because difficult, abusive, narcissistic, megalomaniacal, sociopathic, psychopathic people are incredibly expensive to dispute resolution organizations. So they're going to be right in there promoting as much peaceful parenting, giving parents incredible economic breaks for peaceful parenting, giving them even cheaper insurance if the kids can go through an unobtrusive brain scan or two to make sure the neofrontal cortex is developing properly, which is the seat of emotional restraint and our capacity for negotiation. You will have a society that profits from peace and therefore peace will be promoted. Even in the absence of a moral imperative, there will be the good old standby financial incentive, which, if you can't get them with the heart, get them by the wallet. But right now, we have a system and a variety of hierarchical systems, abusive systems, that profit from child abuse. And this is from parents to priests to governments to teachers. And the idea that these people are going to be heavily invested in reducing child abuse is insane. I'm not saying that's your belief. It's, it's, gen, it's mental. And that's why when we have a future society, I mean, we, it's going to be so fundamentally different that it's going to be like looking at the Roman economy and then looking at the software economy of the 21st century and trying to find some common ground. Does that make any sense?
5: Yeah, definitely. I could uh, sign my name over, under every word you say. Uh, and uh, actually, I will, as a practical uh, human being, I am wondering how do we get there where we need to be? We we cannot preach to, uh, for example, uh, as your previous caller um, mentioned, we cannot preach to uh, the classes that uh, profit from, from this uh, coercion uh, of government, uh, because they would not uh, uh, give up their benefits. Uh, actually, wh- who, who we need to preach to is um, the people who are uh, disadvantaged, uh, who who are taking advantage of, to the people who pay taxes and and, and that that are actually enslaved by by all this. Um, Uh, by the whole scheme and i think uh what you do is wonderful and uh, and i think uh, all people should do the biggest donation which they can to your show in order to to enable you to continue uh working uh, and educating all people because i i I doubt even if one percent of of all people uh can use their brains in this way
0: yeah well i you know i mean as far as how we do it i mean you're like somebody, you know. It's like people phone me when I'm climbing a mountain, saying, "How do we climb the mountain?" It's like, well, join me. <laughs> you know, I mean, just talk to people about peaceful parenting. Talk to people about the evils of child abuse. Talk to people, recalibrate people's expectations. Get them to understand that uh, force is force
5: yeah but people who i talk to are are so close-minded so i'm i'm always uh, when i start talking to someone uh there there's always these objections and they start uh, talking in cliches they they somehow uh so uh, in my opinion there are two uh, explanations for at least two explanations for each uh, issue and there's a superficial one and there's a no sorry but, explanation. but
0: you, i mean you, you don't I mean, I, I'm heavily influenced by feminism. And feminism had this great answer. They said, don't hit your wife. Right? And they, they appealed to, you know, it's, it's wrong. It's immoral. It's abuse. Spousal abuse. Don't hit your wife. And some assholes said, well, I'm going to keep hitting my wife. Fuck her. Doesn't listen. And then did they keep talking to the men? No. Who did they talk to? To court? No. Police? Who did they talk to? No. To the wife? Exactly. Exactly. They said to the wives, well, you know, you don't have to stay if he's hitting you. Well, they went a lot further. They said, a lot of them said that all marriage is abuse and all women should leave their marriages, which is, I certainly don't say that about families. I mean, not all families are abusive and not everyone has to leave their family. But I do remind people that uh, if they are being abused by their parents and they cannot resolve that abuse, they don't have to stay.
5: But I mean, I learned this directly uh, from
0: from the feminists. Sorry, go ahead.
5: This this polarization, I I, I really uh, I'm very annoyed when I, I, he, I hear stuff like "Don't hit your wife." I would say, "Don't hit anyone," because all people are equal in rights. Okay. No, and no, when, no, I agree. Look,
0: the feminists, look, 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 hang on, hang on. The feminists needed to appeal to women and so they talked about liberty for women. They did not talk about, they did not talk to women, don't hit your goddamn children because they wanted to get money from women and they wanted to get the allegiance of women and so they portrayed women as victims and, you know, there's something in people that likes being perceived as a victim, particularly in a status society, you get lots of money. They don't, they don't feminists, as far as I know, it did not confront women on stop hitting your goddamn children. I mean, you think being hit by your husband is bad, you can leave. You're an adult. You chose to marry the asshole. Your kids can't leave and they sure as hell didn't choose your bitchy ass as a mom. So stop hitting your children. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of course not, right? Again, women's vanity, insecurity was the source of their income. So They're not going to confront women on their capacity for child abuse. And say, well, women, you're the primary caregivers of children, so stop hitting them. You know, good lord, eighty percent of you moms are still hitting babies and infants and toddlers. Are you insane? Stop that. Stop that. You've no right to complain about. You've no right to complain about a goddamn patriarchy when you're fucking well hitting babies. It is ridiculous, embarrassing, and morally contemptible for women to complain about patriarchy without talking about the fact that women are hitting babies. I mean, do you really think babies being hit by moms are really getting indoctrinated into patriarchy? Or do you think it's more a violent matriarchy that they're experiencing? Hmm, I wonder. (laughs) And then we wonder why society is so deferential to the irrational whims of women, thus feeding those irrational whims and making women even more irrational. It's because we get hit by women as kids. And we get hit by dads, too. I understand all of that. That's all well known. We've already been indoctrinated about all of that. What we haven't understood is the degree to which women contribute to the cycle of violence. Because feminism appeals to women's vanity, strangely enough, by portraying them as victims. I think real vanity would want to be portrayed as heroic rather than victims. But the evidence is the evidence. And so if you can't tell the kids, fine, talk to the adult kids. I say, you don't have to be in abusive relationships. You can't choose the state. You can choose your parents when you're an adult. Well, as I already said, if you can't get them by the hearts, get them by the wallet. And if you can't get them by the virtue, get them by the gene pool. Promote voluntarism in all relationships. And then say, look, if you want to spend time with your parents, if they're abusive, well, I think that's masochism, but masochism is not immoral. It's impractical, I would say. It's wrong. It's a desperate cry for help. But it's not immoral. It's immoral to cut other people. It's not immoral to cut yourself. But you cannot expose your children to abusive people. That is where the immorality starts. As an adult, you can choose to expose yourself to abusive people, but you cannot choose to expose your children to abusive people. And if people believe me on that, then abusers don't get to imprint grandchildren. Gosh, what an amazing leap forward that is. To take the influence of abusive grandparents out of the world of children? What a fantastic way of stopping the disease in its tracks. You know, the key to moral progress is quarantine <laughs> from abusers.
5: May May I ask a question, please?
0: Yes, it's last one. I gotta go, but uh, after this, yeah, go ahead.
5: All right. Uh, it's about your principles. So I give an example. Uh, you, you say you have the right to harm yourself. Does this right extend also to your children? Because if your child does something which is clearly uh, very dangerous for the child, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. When do you leave the child decide for, for themselves? And when do you. Uh, counter to the uh, will of the child, you stop it from harming uh, itself. I, I don't understand. Wait, Where so, do you make so this? if I,
0: let's say I catch you, uh, I catch some teenage girl cutting herself because she was sexually abused, do I get to punch her? No. Why?
5: Or Yes? I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, of course I don't. Of course I don't. The fact that she's doing something harmful to herself does not give me the right to initiate force against her, right? Uh,
5: Yes, okay. Now, uh, if I hang
0: on, if I I leave a steak knife on the floor and my toddler cuts herself with it, do I get to hit the toddler? No. Why not?
5: Because it's my fault.
0: Exactly. So if your child is doing something dangerous, you either have left a dangerous environment around that child or you have failed to adequately protect and prepare your child to not do things that are dangerous. I'm not talking about an accident or whatever, right? But if your child is doing something dangerous, that's your fault as a parent.
5: No, no, I I, I was uh, thinking about something else. For example, if my child doesn't want want to brush uh, her teeth and I know that this would cause tooth decay, but I somehow need to make her brush her teeth. And I cannot find any sensible way. W- what's the right thing to do, in your opinion?
0: Well, you, you reason with the child and you explain it and you diagram it and you show them videos of bacteria on the teeth. And you show them pictures of people with bad teeth and you talk about how painful having bad teeth is. And right, you, it's what I do. You just make the case. They'll get it. Okay, They're not stupid.
5: Yeah, uh, I'm not saying the no child is the stupid. I, I'm saying uh, I'm saying maybe I'm too stupid to to make it because I have never learned parenting at school, so I, I need to to learn on the job.
0: Yeah. No. You just you just keep making the case. You just keep making the case, and the the child will understand very quickly. And then if you can't make the case, you bribe. Yeah. <laughs> no, you bribe. There's nothing wrong with that. We all live on bribes. I mean, every time I get a donation, oh, kibble. <laughs> right? I mean, how many people go to work for the pleasure of it, and how many people go to work as they get paid? We all get bribed to do stuff we don't want to do. So you, 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 you bribe and you reason, but you don't force. Right?
5: Great. Okay, keep up.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much, everyone. I uh, appreciate it. It's a great set of calls. I uh, really appreciate everybody. Uh, who uh, brings uh, brings all of these e- essential topics to to this conversation? FDRURL.com dot com forward slash donate and help me to buy a throat lozenge. <laughs> and um, I guess I will speak to everyone Wednesday. And uh, yeah, we got cool stuff you were just talking about. So we're going to do some. I'm going to this Bitcoin conference in Texas. We're going to try and do something live with Alex Jones, something live with uh, Joe Rogan again. And uh, yeah, the conversation continues apace. Thank you. Uh, thanks to your support. You know, if you haven't donated yet, yeah, you know it's time. Come on. Do the right thing. You know it's time. FDRURL.com forward slash donate. Thanks everyone so much. Have a great week.